Hello, welcome to Tea Hanks for the Memories. I'm your host, Darren, and today we're going to be talking about angels and demons. Uh, joining me to talk about it today, I have Sarah Ifdicker. Hello. And I have Ollie Brady. Hello, Ollie. Hey, Darren. Because we start with the exciting um, papal ring being smashed by Ewan McGregor, who looks entirely too serious to be just smashing up a little ring. Like, you know, uh, apparently a progressive and beloved pope has died. I'm sorry, when did this happen? What year is this meant to be? What progressive pope? the future. Sorry. It's... It's Francis. Yeah. That's who it is. That's who they're referencing. They were saying this is what's going to happen in the future. I think on the ring it says Pius the Sixteenth though, or something. So they've made up another pope to, to kind of a, a, a pope who's really nice uh, to kill off. Um, and between between the kind of the smashing of the ring, um, pardon the expression, if you will, um, and you know the kind of the <laughs> the the gathering of the cardinals, uh, we have CERN. Um, and they're doing an experiment, um, an experiment where tiny electrons look like big electricity. Um, and uh, this, uh, the whole, the whole stuff from CERN. I there was a there was a guy that I used to work with, and with complete seriousness on his face, he told me about the fact that the Vatican have antimatter that is stored underneath the Vatican. Of course they do. <laughs> and, and and I was I said to him I said. I hope you realize that if antimatter touches normal matter, it just disappears. Like, it j- that's just what happens. Like, that's why we can't contain antimatter. Mm-hmm. There's literally like one nanogram of antimatter in the entire world. I, and like, even keeping that stable is like a full time job. It takes billions and billions of joules to get the energy to make a tiny, tiny, tiny amount of it. Um, and he just he couldn't believe me. He he said he'd read it in a book that uh, you know the Vatican was storing a, like a jar of antimatter somewhere. That stuff, um, Darren. I don't I don't talk about it very often, but that's my background. I, before I yeah. before I decided to give up on actually doing any real work and became a teacher, uh, so I was a theoretical physicist. And I've been in CERN. I've I've worked it through that building. It it's good what they've done yeah. there. Like it looks like CERN, but. It's just, that's that's all I can say. Any any time they mention a single piece of science in this, it's just nah, <laughs> nah, bro, come on, nah. <laughs> yeah. that's not how well, it works. Like <laughs> there is a bunch of antimatter that's being gathered. Of course, everybody's sitting in front of those screens that have little broken down blue models that kind of spin around for no reason. There's a lot of typing going on. Uh, just too much typing for just like start. Like just a lot of more typing <laughs> after stuff started. People are still typing stuff. Why would you be typing? I don't know. Um, we see a little bit of falling code as we tend in these things, and uh, you know science is happening. There's a secret room where a bunch of antimatter is being gathered, um, and, and, and and is kept in the cold for yes. some reason. Like that's the that's the beauty of this. Is like it it's antimatter can't come into contact with no matter well better keep the room cold. And also that oh, then they just, later in the film say, oh, the battery dies faster if it's cold. But oh, no, actually, you have to yeah. have it in the cold at the beginning, but it can't be cold at the end. <laughs> OK. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's just a lot. There's a lot of smoke. We don't know if it's hot smoke or cold smoke, but it, I mean, it looks <laughs> like it's cold smoke. But, it, uh, you know, it could be either. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of Hadron colliding. You know, uh, we see an eyeball on the floor, uh, which yeah. I actually thought that was a funny little reveal <laughs> because it's like. Because the thing is, then a few minutes later, someone explains that they've got like eyeball in recognition, mm-hmm. and obviously they pulled his eyeball out to get. And it's like I could, I worked all that out. I worked out that's why they pulled the eyeball out. That's a, that's a joke on an episode of Red Dwarf. So yeah. I, you know, I, like everybody's everybody figured that out. We didn't need um, our winsome brunette telling us that. Um, 
you know, somebody steals the antimatter. Uh, that's the basic gist. And a pope is dead. That is the beginning of the film. But welcome yourself to what I'm calling Hankstown. Population U. He's in his underwear. Yes, it's back to those classic, uh, you know, opening up with Tom showing off his body days as he swims through the water. Uh, something which was obviously missing from the previous film. We didn't get, you know, nearly enough uh, Hank's nudity in The Da Vinci Code. Um, but, you know, clearly he's been working on his bod and he's going to show it off. In this one scene, later on he'll also dip into some water, but he won't be taking his clothes off there. Um, but what I like is the guy from the Vatican, um, he has a bag that's got symbols that indicate it's the Vatican. And we all know that this is everyone's favorite symbologist. So, of course, he sees the cross keys and he instantly recognizes it. Now, I would also recognize it because it's the cross keys of St. Peter's. Right. It's like the most obvious symbol in the entire world. This is, it's also the first moment in which you get Robert Langdon explaining things to people. And I understand that the reason he's doing it is because they're not making assumptions about what the audience knows. They're assuming the audience knows literally nothing, but that they are then having him explain things to people who obviously know what he exact, this already, this guy who's wearing the symbol, he knows what it is. He doesn't need Robert Langdon to tell him. It's the same, the, the Da Vinci Code movie has the same problem. There's a bit near the start of the, the Da Vinci Code where he's explaining Botticelli to somebody. And he's in, he's in the Louvre and he's explaining the art of Botticelli. Yes. And you're going, I'm, I'm 90% certain that the guy who is the curator of this museum, because he, he has a meeting with him, you're like, I'm 90% certain he knows more about this than you do, Robert Langdon. Yeah. Ah, well, he hid symbols in his pictures. Oh, did he, Robert? Really? Did he? Thank you for explaining this. <laughs> really? Um, but, Sarah, I have a question for you. Uh, since Darren's um, ranking system is is T-Hanks or no T-Hanks, so uh, when you see uh, Robert Langdon getting out of this uh, swimming pool and he's, he's got that bodacious <laughs> bod going on, um, as as a lady, because myself, myself and Darren, and I don't want to assume for Darren, but I, I think we've discussed this before. We we're both you know painfully straight males. Um, is it a, a T Hanks or a no T Hanks to Robert Langdon? Like, would you kind of would, a like, no you... T Hanks? Like, he's he doesn't do anything for me. Like, maybe like young Tom Hanks, but Tom Hanks at this stage and it pretty met to be honest. I think you need to see Turner and Hooch. Really, that's that's prime. <laughs> that's prime Tom Hanks. Yeah, this, yeah. Is, sucking, this is not prime Tom Hanks. You're sucking Sarah in with the cute dog. That's what you're yeah. doing there, Darren. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. a t- well. T- Turner and Hooch is also where Tom Hanks did all the stuff that, you know, uh, Hugh Jackman did when he was Wolverine and, you know, starved himself and, you know, had the camera angles done so he could show his abs off, all that kind of stuff. Um, Yeah. Had things taken a different path, you know, he could have been Wolverine. He He did several musicals. um, Yeah, but this, this Tom, this Tom, like Robert Langdon is not selling it as a sexual icon to me. At least he's at least he's done something decent with his hair this time. He's just slicked it back and cut it short. It's fine. But, you know, like he's not really, yeah. He's not he's not going to the the same. Um, but yes, so we we have we find out obviously that this guy is from the Vatican, uh, but he wasn't stationed in the Vatican. Um, and we start with the imp- like it's it's apparently meant to be five in the morning, uh, and we are in Boston, Massachusetts. We're at a certain college. I'm not going to name it because we all know where he works and. Um, so they're going to go from there to the Vatican. Now, over the Atlantic, that is at least a five to six hour flight. I think it's normally seven going in that direction. A further hour probably to Rome from Boston. Um, so how many hours is that? Seven hours. So you're looking at it being like midday, but you then also have the time difference. So it's 
it's going to end up being like six o'clock in the evening before he gets there, which is what it is. But it's like, I, I, I mean, I have flown in that direction a few times. And he's he's saying to this guy, you've, you, you know, you've got jet lag because the eyes, you know, and everything. I'm sorry, but going, going, going from New York to Boston, first of all, doesn't give you jet lag. And also flying to America from Europe doesn't give me jet lag. Never has done. It's the other direction that kills you. Once yeah. you land on the other side, Robert Langdon would be asleep for a day mm. doing that journey. Like, he, I actually he, find the he, opposite, like, I will say, but I don't know. So maybe, oh, maybe so it's just me then. Maybe it's, yeah, gonna, like, Sarah, maybe it's, maybe it's going be... out of, I don't know, maybe it's how it's going to do with like which time zone you're used to. No, I, I think that's just your Americanism, Sarah, because when you fly back to the States, you just land and then you get all of that freedom back on top of you and it just kind of lifts you up and makes you feel better. Like, you just feel better. Uh, Darren, the other thing about Robert Langdon is um, they actually flew Ryanair on that flight, so they didn't even land in Rome. They dropped him at the the bottom of the bloody boot of Italy down in Bari and he had to to drive back up. (laughs) I I mean, I love that American listeners probably won't understand why budget airlines don't go to the cities they say they go to. It's very funny. I have... I've definitely had some fun yeah. Ryanair trips where I like was supposed to go to Paris and I'm like, cool, I'm going to hang out in Beauvais for the day. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I was, I was like, Beauvais is such a nothing. I'm sorry, Beauvais in France. Hey, the cathedral's you, fun. Uh, you're, it's not even fun, Sarah. It you're is. in France. There's a billion better cathedrals around the corner <laughs> than the one in Beauvais. So I need to say something else about the scene. So Robert Langdon has this little whiny bit where he's like oh now you want my help and you wouldn't even let me into the vatican archives that is ludicrous i so i did active research on this i spoke to a colleague of mine uh dr marita von weissenberriet who in 2000 and 2001 did research in the vatican archives you need to get a letter of introduction so you need to have somebody kind of vouch for you that essentially you're doing valid research that's all you need. You don't need to prove that your research is in accordance with the aims of the Catholic Church. There is no yeah. chance that a professor at this unnamed but elite institution <laughs> would not get permission to work in the Vatican archives. It's absolutely ridiculous. And the bureaucracy to get to the Vatican archives is not actually really even any different from the bureaucracy to get into almost any other central major European archive. Um, the only problem is that Robert Langdon's letter of approval and recommendation was signed by Indiana Jones. And they were like, yeah. well, <laughs> we, we only, we're not even sure if that's a real person. Like if Henry Jones had signed it, maybe, but not Indiana. He also just sent it on I mean, letterhead I think it- that says, I hate God. <laughs> I think his his biggest problem it was actually the journalist from Spotlight that had kind of signed <laughs> up and they were like oh I didn't you know with, with it being in Boston isn't that set in Boston Spotlight it was, I think it, it is, is. I remember Boston, some yeah, Boston, Boston the Boston Globe yeah that's how quick I am uh, yeah so uh, you know it, he gets shown an ambigram which is uh, look he, uh, for some reason ambigrams will form the the plot of this thing kind of sort of in a roundabout way and here's what I'll say about ambigrams yes they're fun. There's a guy on TikTok who draws ambigrams from people's names and he explains how he does it. But any ambigram you look at has to be extremely stylized because getting words to work upside down in the same way up, it's it means that you have to draw really weird little marks on everything. And, you know, you can't do it with like a sans serif font. Everything is very serif. And like 
okay, you've got the word Illuminati reading the same backwards and forwards. Well, you, you know, you kind of, the T and the A are a bit squished on one side because they've got to be a U and an L on the other side. So, but, you know, I'm, I'm not as fascinated with ambigrams, evidently, as Dan Brown was. No, I'll, I'll um, just a uh, quick contention there with you, Darren. Ambigrams are not fun in any way. Um, <laughs> never have been, never will be. And that guy on TikTok needs to stop. Um, if we can just stop this entire culture of yeah. trying to do some sort of fancy drawn stuff, and then everybody then has to pretend like we like it and we enjoy it. No, we don't. None of us do. We all look at it and go, this is bad. You've done bad work. This is an because intense opinion. you're TikTok famous. I can't even say this. And yes, I'm yeah. saying this about Charlie D'Amelio right now. I'm calling you out. <laughs> but yeah, it, just, it's not like it's it's bad. It's a bad like it was bad in the original book. And if I remember correctly, the one I had had a fold out page in it so that you could get the full effect of the Illuminati uh, symbol. Yeah. And it doesn't look good ever no. at any stage. No. And I think the funniest thing as well is, you know, he, like, while we're sitting in this bad CGI helicopter, uh, he starts going on about, like, the Illuminati and how they're this and that. And it's like, yeah, now, uh, obviously, the Illuminati that, that Dan Brown is talking about is not the real Illuminati, which was a thing, which briefly existed, like, you know, 500 years ago, they were not very popular with the Catholic Church, as most people weren't. You know, there's a reason that certain people got beheaded in this country, because the Catholic Church weren't happy with them, you know. And then the other side took over and they weren't happy, so they beheaded some more people. But, like, the idea that, like, this kind of very specific, like, society secretly controls stuff, that's a different Illuminati. Mm -hmm. That's the Illuminati of conspiracy theories, which are all... Mostly insane. Yeah, lizard so people, like, Illuminati. That's what yeah. they're talking about. And this the, funny, film... the funny thing is, he he could have he could have used the real Illuminati mm -hmm. and stuck with the history, and it would have been good. But instead, he goes off and does the whole conspiracy theory stuff. And sorry, sorry, also, continue. I was just going to say, and that he also invents specifically this whole thing that never happened. That there was, I believe, the date he gives is 1668. That there is something called La Purga, where the church en masse, you know, had executed a ton of the Illuminati. This never happened. Yeah. There were scientists individually no. who, you know, the church did condemn and who were executed. And the church, you know, condemned lots of people. Rightfully who were so. Then Rightfully so. Ali, Ali, <laughs> who were then executed. And this is this is one of the things that makes me so frustrated with this movie is that I'm Jewish. I have nothing good to say about the Catholic Church. And this puts me in the position of having to defend the Catholic Church just by saying <laughs> they weren't quite as mass murdery as like people think they are. And I really I am, resent this. I am shocked. This feels like a personal attack, Sarah. In all the years we've been friends, this has never come up, the difference between our two religions. It's never come up, And I no. just want to say, on First behalf time. of the Catholic Church, that we do not apologize for anything. Just want you to know that there's no apologies being made by any Catholic Church member or anybody representing the Catholic Church on this podcast right now. Cer you. Certainly not for a bunch of fake killings that they did not do. Um, no, no, but he Wait, gives I take it back, Darren. I am going to apologise for some unpleasantness <laughs> in the eighties and nineties, but but not not with the murders. The murders were fine. The other stuff. I mean, I think bad. if if what you're apologising for is uh, is Boyzone and Westlife, then yes, we accept that apology. Mm. That's not the um, Catholic Church's fault. And it <laughs> that is was also Ireland it, on its own. And it is also there are real people that the church got killed, and I also find it honestly kind of offensive yeah. that we're going to like ignore the real people that the church killed and make up all of this ridiculous stuff. Well, funnily, funnily enough, later on they talk about this whole purge thing, and they mention like Galileo, 
um, who insisted on having the surname Galilei just to confuse people. Um, and he died like eight years before this whole purge thing. So like, why would he have stuff written in a book? Anyway, right. And also died, you know, you know, and also like he died under house arrest. Like it's not like, I, like, I I don't think they yeah. say that he was executed in this purge, but it's, I feel like kind of weirdly no. implied anyway. He also, I mean, he also, I've seen, I'm just I've seen a right play now, about that. So. Died of syphilis. Like he did not yeah. die because of the Catholic church. No. Uh, I don't even know if he did, but I'm going to slur that man's name some more. <laughs> Galileo Galilei. And he was under house arrest. I mean, so I'm not going to say that like they were nice to Galileo, but they didn't execute him. Yeah, they just wanted him to recant and say that uh, the, the, the heliocentric model was incorrect. Yeah. So uh, putting themselves on the side of flat earth or YouTube, bizarrely enough. Um, we get to the Swiss Guard. It is now 6.35 p.m. local time. I first like we, in the Da Vinci Code, they never bothered putting up like titles to tell us where we were, but in this one, they are. So that's helpful. Uh, we managed to meet uh, Eilet Zura, who was the uh, scientist who was pressing some buttons and who saw the eye. And because she saw the eye, she is now involved in this investigation with uh, Commander Richter, I think is the. Yes. Is the guy. And that's uh, Stellan Skarsgård. Stella, wonderful Stellan yeah. Skarsgård, father of at least two wonderful actors um and um he what's funny about Stellan Skarsgård is his role is basically the exact same as what's his face from the Da Vinci Code well because they're actually the police guy well yes like they're actually it's the exact different cities it's the exact same formula uh, like, inc- like yeah. including like almost every character has like a one to one analog. It's very funny. But he's the suspicious police guy who doesn't like Robert Langdon. But Robert Langdon has been brought in by this uh, friend, this uh, Italian guy. Now, the Italian guy is part of the gendarme corps of Vatican City. But Stellan Skarsgård is the head of the Swiss Guard. And there's another layer of like somebody else is in charge of like the Vatican police. They're just all, there's like, uh, you know, they obviously talk about how it's a bit of a mess in terms of uh, jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. Um, but if if some cardinals have been ca- kidnapped from Vatican City, surely that just all falls under Vatican City. Like, they, you know, they're, they're a country. They can yeah. manage their own police. Like, you, you know, think. why does everybody else have to get but... involved? Yeah. Uh, they're a city-state, so... Um, but yeah, so we get Stellan Skarsgård. He does. He he makes a joke where he says, "Thank God the symbologist is here." Ah, yes, a real field which was, symbology. Which was pretty funny. Like, I, I enjoyed <laughs> yeah. the hell out of that. That was good. Like, yeah, it is a good delivery. I should say that this this film is being adapted by uh, the Oscar award winning writer of Batman and Robin, hmm. uh, Akiva Goldsman. Um, and you can tell. Yeah, he. Uh, <laughs> I know, I know why Ali's laughing, but he did win an Oscar, but he didn't win it for Batman and Robin. He won it for A Beautiful Mind. So um, he won it for working with Ron Howard. He adapted The Da Vinci Code as well. So, um, I'm, assuming, we've also got... I'm assuming he wrote Man of Steel because uh, Ayelet Zur, the, uh, the male lady actress, she's, um, she is... Superman's uh, mom. Super, Superman's mom. Yeah. 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 I don't know because I, I can't remember what else Akiva Goldsman's written mm-hmm. other than Batman and Robin and... <laughs> Listen, mind. you've Those got the, the two, two the two I main mean. ones. You got the one yeah, he the won an Oscar for incorrectly, and the one he should have won the Oscar for. <laughs> yeah, but interestingly, on this, he's he's got a co-writer, and it's David Coep, or, or Cope. I don't know how you say that surname. Starts with a K, has an O E P P, um, and he he over the years has adapted a number of extremely high-profile films. The biggest one probably being Jurassic Park, um, and then he also did Carlito's Way the same year. 
Um, he, um, you know, he met Ron Howard when he did the paper. Um, and he also wrote the original draft of Mission Impossible, which was then rewritten with Robert Town and Stephen Zalian. Mm. Um, Stephen Zalian, who I think wrote Schindler's List. So high profile names on Mission Impossible there. Yeah. Um, but I, the first film I saw of his at the cinema was Lost World Jurassic Park, uh, which, you know, is the, you know, the sequel to the original. Um, but also I saw A Stir of Echoes, which is he also directed that. Um, he also wrote Panic Room and Spider-Man in the same year. Um, and he did War of the Worlds and Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Um, and he also directed Ghost Town, which I saw at the cinema as well. And then he did this. Now, this is his next thing. He will be the sole adapter on the, on Inferno. He basically takes over from Akiva Goldsman on that. Um, but then the other two films that he's directed that I've seen at the cinema are Premium Rush and Mordecai. Uh, which is well, Premium Rush is fun. Mordecai, yeah. it's painful. <laughs> yeah, such a, a whiplash there. But uh, yeah, so I just thought it's interesting, and I have a feeling that David Coep is probably the guy who put in the oh, here's the symbologist line because that feels like something he would do more than Akiva Goldsman. It, Akiva it Goldsman really is... sounds like like when you're saying he wrote Jurassic Park adaptation, like it does sound like a Malcolm um, or Doctor Ian Malcolm line. Oh, here, thank God, the symbologist is here. Yeah, I just thought, I mean, you know, I think a lot of the stuff that he does, for, it's, like Stanley Skarsgård says, is kind of, it sounds more like David Coep than uh, Akiva than Goldsman. Goldsman yeah. On, yeah. Um, so uh, at this point, we're talking about antimatter. Oh, no, it's been stolen. Someone stole the antimatter. Oh, no. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you guess? Uh, at this point, I point out only one nanogram of antimatter in the entire world has ever been produced. <laughs> so. Now nah, we're going to destroy it round. Don't yeah. worry about it. Yeah, we're just going to blow up the entire of the Vatican um, with whatever we've got. Um, they've kidnapped four cardinals, someone has. Uh, a person who I think um, would be played by a pale person were this a different film. But in this case, it's just a guy who I don't I didn't even remember who the actor is. Just a guy keeps appearing. Yeah. He puts on his glasses. He takes them off. You know, I like that the Swiss Guard HQ has got a bunch of like, um, like, uh, what are they called? Like sticks with spikes on the end, a bunch oh, of spears yeah. or whatever. There's yeah. Like a lot of, yeah, there's like a lot of old weaponry in there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I mean, it's they a weird, guns. it's a choice, but I was, <laughs> yeah, but I was, I was still like, hey, if they if they need to get themselves a bunch of pikemen going, they can. Um, Listen, if they run out of money, if they run out of uh, bullets, right? You've you've got a halberd, which I think they're what they're meant to be, right? Uh, like, go after them. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, those guys are not going like, to see it coming. I mean, they will shoot you, but at least you'll go out in style. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, on the halberd. Yeah. I also... Okay, so it is very unclear to me exactly what they're trying to do. I guess it's just vaguely vengeance. And for the murdering the cardinals, obviously not condoning it, but at least that makes sense. But then it's also like, oh, we're going to bomb the Vatican. But it's not we're going to bomb the Vatican if you don't do X, Y, and Z, right? It would make so much more sense if this was like, uh, yeah. you know, a some kind of situation in which they were kind of trying to get something out of them or they were going to carry out this bomb threat. And second, they must be aware of the fact that they are going to, if this is successful, murder, what, a million people? How many people? I mean, in terms of, I mean, the Bredius, it seems like it's going to take out a good chunk of Rome. That's not even getting into the fact that it's supposed to go off in St. Peter's Square, where there's probably, you know, thousands of people gathered to hear about the next Pope. 
so this yeah. person is just, you know, so there's just this idea, right? That it's like, oh, we're just cool with committing mass murder. Well, their plan is stated as the following, which is very confusing. Uh, they've kidnapped the four cardinals who were favoured. Uh, they say it in Italian, but, you know. The preferiti, which is not a thing. Yeah, well, yeah, this is it. Like, the, the whole point of the conclave, later on they'll say it was like a swift and smooth conclave. But, buddy, you don't know anything about the conclave. The, 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 like, the cardinals that take, take part in it never discuss it with anybody. Right. It is extremely secret. Like, that's the whole point of it. You know, it's not called the open clave. It's a conclave. The only thing right. you would so, know is how actually, many ballots there just, have been. Just, just, just for you yeah. guys, um, we all know about it uh, over on our side of the religion. <laughs> uh, we have little chats about it. Carolyn's come around talk to local people in the village just have a little like a little town town square meeting and stuff like uh, but like we're all sworn to silence or not in fact i am probably <laughs> running risk of if you hear some loud noises that's them knocking down my door to, to, for explaining that we know about it but yeah it, uh, i mean like, this would have been like a nice quiet conclave that was good i mean good. ollie that's good, pretty good, cool yeah, but my people have a secret space laser so i think we i think i win <laughs> the americans no, the Jews, Ollie. The Jews. <laughs> we have a, there's a secret Jewish space laser, didn't you hear? I I don't believe that. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna let you slander an entire group of people. So they've kidnapped these four favored cardinals, the top favorites to be the next pope, and <laughs> we're the best favorites, Darren. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna brand them with um, uh, the four elements. And they're going to kill one an hour between eight o'clock and midnight. <laughs> just, like, just for But fun. then at the same time, at the same time, they have the antimatter, which is now, because antimatter just, if it's unstable, is a bomb. They haven't wired it up or anything. It's not attached to anything. It's just an antimatter bomb. And they've got a camera trained on it. Um, but the camera doesn't have like a specific location because it's wireless, apparently. So, <laughs> so I was like, what is what is this plot? Like all of this is happening. And then at the same time, Robert Langdon, as he walks into like he's 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 talking about like the whole Illuminati thing. And he's basically telling this to a bunch of Catholics. And they're like, yeah, we know. We know I mean, yeah. I actually put Langdon has to tell these guys their own history. Jeez. And like he's he's like, you don't know anything, do you? And it's like. Why would they know any of this nonsense that you're just making up on the spot? Uh, and there are a few times where we get the back of Tom Hanks's head while we have a, a long ADR where he <laughs> explains stuff, which I thought was quite funny. The, um, um, Darren, you were just saying there, so the, they're going to kill one cardinal an hour yes. every hour between 4 a.m. and 8 a.m. or whatever it is, right? Um, it's 8 p.m., 9 p.m., 10 p.m. That, yeah, that's it. Um, yeah. I would have loved if Stellan Skarsgård had turned around and go, oh, great, you got the symbologist, and then turns to the other guy and goes... I asked you to get Jack Bauer. That was my exact <laughs> phrase was go to America and get me Jack Bauer. We're on a short time scale. That's the man who can We're get running out of time. And you came back. So much better. Goddamn symbologist. That would have been so much better if we'd had Jack Bauer like in real time running, <laughs> running, around, running around going, I'm getting into the archives. Do you understand me? Punching priests. Uh, yeah, this is obviously there is a there is a you know Langdon goes on and on about like um, you know the mythology of the four churches, the Illuminati. They were unmasked, they were killed, all this kind of stuff, stuff that never happened basically. Right. Um, and we get we get to meet uh, Patrick McKenna, uh, who they say is from Ulster, but that accent is wandering around these aisles because <laughs> you and McGregor. Hilarious. I mean. I don't know why they didn't just make him Scottish. Yes! Just make him Scottish. He can do his own you voice. You have a then, Scottish guy, just make him Scottish. 
Scottish. It doesn't matter. Listen, guys, yeah. they're never electing a Scottish Pope. Let's get that straight. Um, <laughs> just for anybody listening, if you want to know what an Ulster accent sounds like, this is one. So um, whatever he's doing is absolutely not what I'm doing right now. No, I I think Ulster is a lot more. When I think of Ulster, I think of that guy who used to yell a lot during the Troubles. Oh, was Jerry the Adams and uh, Ian Paisley. No, Ian Paisley. Yeah, Ian but, Paisley, that's who I think of. That that would be the other side that Ewan McGregor wouldn't be coming from there. So I guess, yeah, yeah so, I guess he would so, be more Jerry Adams than Ian Paisley yeah, in this particular and situation. He, he should sound like um, if you if you want to find it, watch the Foreigner and look up Pierce Brosnan's accent in the Foreigner. That's what an Ulster he should like, be. That's like that's Pierce Brosnan does for. a very good version of Jerry Adams in that movie. Yeah, so that's what he should be closer to, but instead, it's just a weird kind of flat, generic Gaelic accent, basically. It's not He's good. just kind of. Ah, to be sure, yeah. to be sure. Yeah, I mean, if he'd have done that, I would have loved. I, this film would have been an instant uh, T. Hanks if at any point he'd have said to be sure. <laughs> at the end of any sentence. Uh, oh, I Robert Langdon, it. we love you, to be sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, he's in. He's from he's from Boston, Mass. Come on, make a connection there. Some, like, you just know. make him just make him uh, from Boston. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, he, went, he so, went to school with Robert Langdon. Yeah, that's what that would Yeah, yeah. That he's one been of Robert good, Langdon's but. students. We see a number of cardinals in their full red dresses walking around very slowly from this room to that room, and Hugh McGregor bumping into him and saying, "Excuse me," like. Buddy, wait for the Cardinals to get out of the way. You're only a priest. You're not a... He's the camera lingo. Yeah, he's a... Yeah, we should explain, obviously, that in this particular case, Ewan McGregor is the former assistant to the Pope, um, and which, during the 80s, was a position that was held by a certain Cardinal Ratzinger, um, Mm -hmm. who then mysteriously became became Pope. Pope, So, yeah. But this... Um, After covering up... A lot of child abuse, and he was a he was a beloved was known for. Um, I believe is is uh, is how we yeah. always describe Ratzinger for those no, few no, years no. when people were like, "How did they elect the this guy? Pope? What the hell?" Yeah, I I what the funniest thing about Ratzinger is just the fact that first of all he he's just such a terrible human being uh, because obviously he he covered up everything for JP two, um, but then he became pope and then he was like, "Nah, not feeling it." I don't like these red shoes. I'm, I'm out good, of here. And, he, and then, yeah, but I, it's, it's just such a weird thing for somebody to be pope and then go, nah, I don't, I don't really want to do this. Especially <laughs> because I mean, there have not been a lot of papal resignations. The I believe the most recent one was in the context of the Great Schism. So it's like somebody has to resign so you can stop having three popes. Yeah. And the other resignation that I'm familiar with is actually somebody who was name-checked in this movie as having been murdered while he was Pope, which is incorrect because, in fact, he... A, it's not. It's unclear whether or not he was murdered, although he might have been. But he resigned previously because he actually just very clearly never wanted to be Pope in the first place, and they basically bullied him into becoming Pope. He just wanted to be a hermit and have everybody leave him alone. And then they bullied Listen, him into guys, being Pope. And then they bullied him into not being Pope. You, you have to understand, every day I wake up, is this the day they're going to make me be Pope? And I don't want that. <laughs> I want to just live here as a hermit, just relaxing my life. But every Catholic has this dread that it's going to be like, Ollie, you're going to have to be Pope. What Pope name do you want to have? And obviously I'm going to go for 
Pope Innocent the twenty fifth or whatever it happens to be at this point, or Pope Sixtus the seventh, which has always been my dream. See, I would go with if I was going to be Pope. There was actually a you'll never be Pope, Sarah. I know, but if I were somehow to become Pope, there is a uh, a Pope who uh, is named Pope Formosus. Which basically means Pope Sexy. And I find that very funny. So I would be either Pope Formosus II or Pope Lando II. Yeah. Real Pope. Oh, no, Pope Real Lando. Pope. Yeah, Pope Lando. Good Pope. Pope Lando. Um, it's a good name. It's a good name for did, did Did a lot of Pope in his time. Um, <laughs> he was, so, uh, he was uh, actually uh, the last Pope, I think, to use his own, like, to not change his name. Yeah. Because yeah, his name's Lando. Yeah, because his name's Lando. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I'm sorry, but I am not changing this to Pius or bloody yeah, Clown no, or something. Absolutely I'm, sticking, not. I'm sticking with a cool name. Yeah. Um, and you've you also, know, also, from yeah. now on, our, our cloaks have got to have a bit of fur around them. Let's <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's bring some style to yeah. this papacy. <laughs> so they're going to Conclave, uh, the Cardinals are, uh, where they very dramatically get locked in a room where they have snacks and drinks. <laughs> Um, and you know they just mill about doing cardinal stuff. You know, like it seems like an easy life. Um, I mean, I, I'm not sure that I particularly agree with the whole kind of like a uh, doily arrangement that they have underneath their red cloaks. Just stick with the red lads. I mean, it's it's a strong color. You know, when you're all wearing it, it looks pretty good. They've all got their little cardinal hats on. Um, you know, they've all got the gigantic gold crosses, mm-hmm. um, which of course you know uh, Jesus would approve of because he was all about humility and gigantic gold crosses. Um, I like that Ewan McGregor's got like a fancy thing that stops his cross from getting caught. It's like, it's really complicated, but it like, it goes one direction and then comes back up and then it loops back around. And that way his cross stays in exact place. Um, you know, because again, uh, Jesus was all about people reminding him of how he died. That's, um, that's his favorite thing. thing. He's like, yeah, you should have yeah. that there because it, it reminds me that I suffered for you people. And that's what we like yeah. to do. And then on Saturdays and Sundays, depending on the day of the week you like to go, we like to eat his flesh. Um, but yeah. more importantly, you love, uh, you love <laughs> eating your God, you Catholics. Ju- just a quick question on, on the, the old cardinal thing, right? Now, yeah. if you were a cardinal, Darren, mm-hmm. when you hear the word cardinal, what's the automatic word that you want to put after the word cardinal because there's one word that pops into mind all the time if i hear cardinal there's one word that's come back i mean cardinal sin well you've got <laughs> cardinal sin yeah i like yeah. it i like it I but like you know but you, but you know do you know what there's there is an actual cardinal in boston called cardinal sin that's I love his, it. That's oh, that's his excellent. name i absolutely love I, know. It. I believe i yeah. read about him in the boston globe one time um, <laughs> yes uh, but for me it's richelieu like and oh yeah yeah, yeah. I, there's no way if i became a cardinal which you know again have to worry about could happen at any time they might just um, force you th- th- I'm going to just be the first cardinal to change my name it's not Cardinal Brady it's uh, <laughs> no 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 you can call me Richelieu and you'll put some respect on that name I'm Cardinal Richelieu the second uh, the second yeah yeah I, I don't know if they number cardinals because there's just too many of them to be honest with you there's just too many cardinals yeah uh, there's a which lot of cardinals is, which is of course too many cardinals is a fun uh, 1970s British uh, romp. Um, I mean, it was a great film. Had uh, Kenneth Williams in, um, you know. Uh, yeah, so obviously Robert Langdon really wants to get into them archives. He really wants to see them archives. As that he's Vic never been allowed to see. Uh, yeah, and he's never been allowed to see them. Uh, but now he's allowed to see them because, I don't know, <laughs> there's some cardinals in danger. Uh- this also implies that the Camerlengo is has just like like that he is effectively just the Pope during this period um, of Sere Vacanti, 
which is, it's way yeah, more there's, complicated. there's no Pope at the moment. But it's way more complicated he, in reality. Like, the people, the Vatican has nothing if not rules. And the system oh, yeah. of papal bureaucracy during this period is way more complicated than just the Camerlengo can do whatever he wants. Yeah, although what I like is there's a lot of people in this film who they they assert their position. Mm-hmm. So they're constantly like, hey, look, for the moment, there's no pope. So you better respect me for right. this. And then later on, there's like, a, a you know, one of the, the guys who's like, hey, remember who you work for. That person being me. So, you know. Like, I'm telling you to do this thing. <laughs> There's a lot of that going on, which I think happens probably every day in in Vatican every day. Like, mm-hmm. people are probably wandering yeah. around the Vatican, bumping into each other, asserting exactly where they are on the food chain. <laughs> hey, hey. Um, you look, look at me in the eyes. No, don't look in my eyes. Um, just the, the idea of uh, Sarah describing, like, if the Catholic Church is one thing, it's got a lot of rules. That's what separates us from animals, Sarah. Rules and cages, <laughs> if you happen to be at the zoo. But rules mostly. And I mean, I if just you feel wanted like, rules, I just feel like I've somehow I've managed to take. I'm just saying. I've taken the position of defending the Catholic Church, <laughs> and any and all attacks will be met with my belligerence in return. Uh, you know, as I said, if you if you want rules, I have some more rules for you there. In part of your own sacred text, there's all sorts of other rules about not eating bacon. Would you would you like those? Do, do you want more rules? We do don't take the rules? time to read those texts, Sarah. We do not take the time to read them. We're too busy <laughs> obeying the actual rules that count. <laughs> Uh, we get into the archives, and of course, this is where we see the Mickey Mouse watch. We didn't see it in the last film, so they got to throw it in this time for us. Um, and then also, is this where he's with the he's with the, the the brunette, and she's like, "Is that a Mickey Mouse watch?" And he's like, "Yeah, it's a Mickey Mouse watch. Right. It's a long story. Like, don't <laughs> like, don't okay. make me don't make me get into the story of my Mickey Mouse watch God. that I deliberately expose, so right. that you know we can all talk about my Mickey Mouse watch." Um, it's funny as well because we get a whole thing where they're looking at a book and they're going through some pages and he's talking about how the number 503 was significant to him and you know it gave me very much I don't know if either of you have seen that tweet where it says a guy who's only seen the boss baby gets real boss baby vibes from this film meaning any (laughs) film basically because that's his only comparison and in this it's like symbologist gets big symbology vibes from literally everything like anything he sees it's always a symbol um and they find like a tiny little uh illuminati symbol and then they they find some text that's going along the side and um not not you know with the page but you know kind of vertically and they talk about how it's written in english and he says yeah because english the language of radicals like shakespeare and chaucer you are radicals what hurry what sorry you mean shakespeare a guy who basically is like the community theater guy who's just writing down the plays that are happening like there's nothing radical about it like like, you know be wrong the canterbury Chaucer... tales are great but like no you they're know, not sir yep I'm i like the canterbury wrong. tales You're except average. for the one you know by this. the way in terms of how he's not a radical <laughs> except for the one that is super super anti-semitic Sarah, well, you find anti-Semitism yeah. in everything, in particular that particular story by Chaucer, might about have how the Jews kill just Christian a children. tiny little bit of anti-Semitism, and just a tiny, just, just a, t- a little just a subplot, teensy, teensy, tiny little accusation that the Jews murder Christian children. But I haven't well, done a podcast with you about a knight's tale. That's what you like about Chaucer, and it's Heat Ledger. It's not the actual writings of Chaucer. It's well, it's and Paul Bettany's nudity, of course. Yeah, Paul Bettany's nudity. nudity yeah. We're all for that. Throwback to yeah. the Da Vinci Code. Hit himself with a nine-tailed whip. But it's exactly it's also but this the thing idea is, too. I was sorry. I I just have I have a lot of anger. No, it's, no, I understand. 
American and English people like to think that English is very important. And the reality is simply speaking that in the pre-modern and early modern world, it just kind of wasn't. Yeah, the Vatican didn't really use English. That's not because it was radical. That's because who cared? England's just not that well, important also, and neither is the English language. Up until like 1960, they still insisted that mass everywhere was in Latin. So, right. you know. Yeah, so um, they certainly would have been using Latin, you know. but also it's that even like English in the 17th century wouldn't have even been a language that anybody would have assumed that other people knew if you were traveling abroad. You would say, oh, if we have to communicate, it might be in, in Latin for that or, for, or in French. It, like, it would not be in English. I don't even, I doubt well, Galileo uh, knew English. Well, this is the funny thing, uh, because obviously they're insisting that Galileo put this watermark in in English and he died like in 1642. There's absolutely no way he was using English. No. <laughs> like he just wasn't. He wouldn't even for secret messages. He wouldn't have used English. So I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. He knew English. Is. Why would he have learned English? No. Why would he have cared? Because it was it a secret doesn't... language. It's not that secret. Yeah, it's it's a secret, secret language. <laughs> it's just It's a secret language that was used by an entire nation. Um, Which is a backwater uh, that no one saying, cares about. Saying that, in 1600, we were starting to take over some places. So, you know, um, we were we were branching out. Uh, yeah. We've got ourselves a navy. Yeah. So were we, the Portuguese. That's what Galileo should have been doing. Yeah, but learning Portuguese. We had, yeah, we had sunk Spanish. the armada. We, we sunk the Spanish armada. So, you know, let's not go there. The, the Spaniards weren't anything at this point. Not in, <laughs> not in 1642. What were the Spaniards? Spanish are Nobody's. Nobody's, nobody's. Nobody cares. Yeah, nobody's. Just well, they, have to go, they had to go to South America. That's where they yeah, had to go. Yeah, so they had, they had to go and kill Incas to feel important. Come on, Spain, get a grip. Um, but yes, so we find out we've got a bunch of cardinals in some cardinal cages, um, and they're all weeping and you know, just general trapped in a cage stuff. Um, the brunette tears out the page so that they can read it later, uh, which obviously disgusts the guy who's driving him around who. I don't know. He's one of the police guys. I didn't pay it any attention to him. It should disgust him. Cause... It absolutely should disgust yeah. him. He ripped a page <laughs> out of a... She, she. She, fine. He didn't. He didn't. Yeah. They, whoever. They he were ha- responsible jointly. He held the book. For ripping a page yeah. out of a, a, a 400-year-old book. That's frankly unacceptable. They should, That's what would get you kicked oh, out of the archives. That would get you uh, a again, lifetime ban. You again, destroyed a defend- book. Not to defend these people because these are, they're clearly not Catholics in this story. But just, I would suggest that it's easier to rip a page out of a 400 year old book. That shit's falling apart already. Like, so. I'm not saying it's hard. I'm saying it's reprehensible. And something I mean, that's a temperature control archive in the world. I think it's funny because obviously, you know, as an Englishman myself, we've got we've got stuff that's way older than four hundred years old oh, that yeah. we just routinely so does the Vatican smash. So, yeah, so just ripping stuff up that's four hundred years old is not really that much of a thing. It was um, in the it was in the new edition section. <laughs> God, no, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. you know, it's nothing compared to the Argentine. It's like God, you can read that script. Like, oh, was that printed? Come on, pathetic. Yeah, we we do make we do make note of the fact that obviously the archives are a temperature controlled room with their own special oxygen, and you know that will come into play later on. Uh, it is nearly eight o'clock, so we are going to be heading to Piazza del uh, Popolo, um, but uh, the body isn't there. So mm. of course the the guy who doesn't like Robert Langdon is not happy that Robert Langdon is incorrect. He's like, oh, see, you're useless. We don't need you. Um, and then, of course, Robert Langdon finds a statue that points to a thing. And so he follows 
the point of this statue <laughs> because this statue I don't know. what's funny is when he first entered he did tell this story about the Pope who, who like knocked everybody's dicks off right uh, which I thought was a funny story <laughs> um, but you know yeah, that doesn't have anything actually. to do with this yeah I mean it happened yeah. so but you know uh, at this point we've got a statue that's pointing in a certain direction sort of so it, they just decide that they've got to go in that direction for for some reason um and eventually they find a body that's got a bunch of earth stuffed in his mouth and he has an ambigram of earth uh you know branded onto his chest and he's dead um and he's under a church you know so it turns out robert langdon was correct but only once he'd seen a statue pointing in a certain direction and they got him a map and he drove very fast whilst looking at this map and i don't know why they didn't find have, where it was on the map first and he, then drive there he could have walked um, he probably he could, could have, have yeah um and just as sarah said that this because this is the same book stroke the same story as the original one that's nearly the entire plot of Da Vinci Code mm-hmm. is Robert Langdon going to the wrong place and going, hold on a second, wait, I was using the wrong language in my head. If I'd have actually <laughs> used a Latin word, it would have meant the triangular church. And that's how he... And did. I like, also and this one, it's it... like, hmm, that, that, that statue is pointing. But the statue has two fingers in that picture. Because Sarah, you've also taken yeah. a picture of that very statue. I have. There's several hands pointing in different directions. Yeah. It's also, by the way, even more hilarious because the problem with why they, you know, the Pantheon, the place where they go, right, that that's the wrong place. It's like, but Raphael was only moved there in the 17th century. Not true. Raphael was there the entire time. That's literally where he was buried, like, the second he died. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, well, he did. But he also lived in New York in the sewers. Um, yeah. With the I mean, rest it was a difficult. The, the, the Ninja and then they brought him back. Well, yeah, he went to New York in the sewers him. in like the 20th yeah. century and then they brought him back to the Pantheon. Sorry, yeah. uh, Darren, that's hero turtles for us over here. We were well, yes, obviously. We can't, we can't have the word ninja. That would just destroy Wait, childhood really? minds. Uh, yeah, they were hero yeah, turtles. Yeah, it's called Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. That is here. fascinating. Yeah. Also, uh, nunchucks were banned up until two years ago. Really? Yeah, come buy nunchucks in the UK. Yeah, so <laughs> so if you wanted to recreate being one of the teenage mutant hero turtles and get yourself some nunchucks, you couldn't. Um, and in fact, the shots in the film uh, that was released in like 1990 or whatever, where they cut the BBFC cut out any nunchuck hits. Huh. So if a nunchuck hit someone, they cut that shot. Really? So you couldn't huh. see people getting that hit with nunchucks. In yeah. Ireland, um, to get it past the censors. They just wrote the word Catholic on the nunchucks. <laughs> and uh, then we were just like, boom, yeah. These are Catholic nunchucks. Um, yes. So uh, what annoys me first is the fact that this first square is referred to as Piazza del uh, Popolo. Uh, but then when we get to nine o'clock um, and another body is about to be found, it's called St. Peter's Square. I'm sorry, caption guy. Either call them all Piazza something something or don't call any of them Piazza something. Call the last one Popolo Square. Call this one uh, Piazza That's del St. Peter. You know. Yeah. yeah. You know. Um, Popolo sounds like a Pokemon's name. Like it genuinely it does. The way Darren says it, it's like Popolo. I'm not going. And I've never played Pokemon, but there must be a Pokemon called Popolo or something like that. Like, it just so. has that ring to it. There might be. In the in the English translation of I don't know the Japanese for something, um, yeah. So we're in St Peter's Square, you know, the big square, the square everyone knows, the square where people are waiting to find out about the Pope. There's going to be a new Pope, by the way. Did you know that they only have yeah. like seven thousand different camera people all standing right next to each other, 
And I've seen some outside broadcasts at particular events and you don't have five guys standing in roughly the same spot all talking different languages to their own cameramen. <laughs> like, it, you, you leave some space. You have your own little tent with a light under it so that your person looks like they're the only one reporting. And then there's a guy, like, up on a platform for no reason. And I'm like, why is that guy all by himself up on a platform? Um, but none of this is important because we see that there is an obelisk and it's got a cross on the top. Um, because of course, you know, this, I don't know how to break it to you, but this is the Vatican and everything's got a cross on top of it. So it doesn't make it special. Um, and so they figure out, they figure out that there is, uh, some, some, well, there's some blood on it. I mean, I don't know why Ron Howard did it this way. It's such a weird thing. A doll is dropped on the floor and then we look at that doll and then blood is on that doll and the a little girl sees a man uh, bleeding and, uh, she screams and that gets the attention of Langdon and the brunette who are obviously they know it's, something's going to happen in St. Peter's Square but you know they just haven't narrowed it down yet and then they find this guy and he has been uh, branded with which one is he? Air that's it because they've stabbed him in the lungs um, as one does and in, in a humorous you know, moment yeah air in hold the lungs hold on a second Darren wait wait, wait yeah wait. First guy was Earth. Yeah. This guy's air. Yeah. Okay. I'm forming I'm forming a possible possible link to something. But I need to find out what happens to the third person before I know. But we'll wait till okay. we get to that guy. Well, the third guy might confirm things for you, but I'm it not might, sure until the, you know. Yeah. Um anyway, so they do they do what I thought was quite a funny thing, which is uh, the brunette goes to do some CPR on this guy, but because the guy has been stabbed in the lungs and is bleeding from those, when she goes to breathe in his mouth, little squirts of blood come up and they cover Tom Hanks in the face. <laughs> and, and I was like, that's such a weird detail for them to do. Like, that's how they find out he's been stabbed in the lungs is because she blows into his mouth and then blood just sprays up onto Tom Hanks' face and he just stands there, covered in blood down the one side of his face and just like okay and then they open up his thing and she's like he's been stabbed in the lungs and it's like yeah we can see that, we can figure that one out. <laughs> yeah but i did like that little detail of like a bit of blood spurting onto his face um you know uh and at this point there is some suspicion that the pope might have been killed apparently he was sick he was taking some drugs to to kind of stop that sickness uh they give it a long name but i think it's just made up um, and, you know, so, you know, Ewan McGregor, the guy who was assisting the Pope, was the one who was responsible for keeping this illness under wraps. There's no way he could be the bad guy, is there? Um, no, so, um, He's Irish. Yeah. It's Patrick never McKenna. the person who He's seems ho- like the main homeboys. person helping you cough. This is the exact same book slash movie <laughs> as the Da Vinci Code cough. I mean, at least the Da Vinci Code had Sir Ian McKellen giving a wonderful performance, spouting off nonsense. Yeah. And then in the promotion afterwards, he was like, you know, sometimes he goes, Dan Brown writes stuff that seems very good. And then you think back and you realize it's all poppycock. Right. <laughs> it's like, and Ian McKellen that's a good is... assessment from Sir Ian McKellen. And he's excellent. Ian McKellen has said something very similar about Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say, I, yeah, I like, like Ewan McGregor. I'm, I'm excited to see him reprise his role as Obi-Wan Kenobi. But I... Yeah. This is not uh, one of Ewan McGregor's best performances. I mean, for a start, at no point during this film do we see his penis. And I sure. feel that's always the, the mark of a good Ewan McGregor performance is if he just, he just wangs it out for no reason. Yeah. Um, that's going to happen in again, Star Wars soon, right? You need to watch the Irish cut 
where <laughs> we, we had like a, an extra couple of scenes where it's just there's a scene where he's swimming in the swimming pool just for <laughs> no just reason nuked. other than the fact he can well the f- the funniest thing is in um i did complain about in this da vinci in the da vinci code uh, there's a few points where paul bettany gets on his knees and he's naked and at no point did we see his scrotum pop below the frame i was just like <laughs> come on <laughs> hashtag more scrotum yeah i mean co- let's let's make it realistic you know that's like, why the cgi no way- budget was so big yeah, unless Paul Bettany is like is kind of training to do like that kind of kung fu thing of like sucking them up inside himself. But, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm not sure that Jennifer Conley would approve of those practices. Um, but yeah, so maybe the Pope was killed. Who knows? Uh, but we get to see uh, what I love. What probably my favorite thing in the entire world, which is Banco Vaticano. <laughs> I'm sure is the is the real name in Italian, right. but it just looks like somebody who doesn't know Italian and has just put an O at the end of two words, right? Because really they does. think that it's it's very much Sopranos. Like, oh, what yeah. are you going? Hey, go to the Banco Vatican. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he's there with the uh, the Nazi. And what? Well, he's just a, he's just a blonde-haired, blue-eyed German guy. But I just kept thinking. I was waiting for a reveal. Never comes. That he's just actually a Nazi. Yeah, I I mean, he's, yeah. I I don't know, he's just a German guy who's insisted on following him around. Um, And he goes into the the thing, and throughout the film, we should say, to find out where the camera is pointing, they've been turning lights off and on. So they've been shutting down the power throughout the city at various times and then turning it back on like five minutes later just to so if the light goes off they'll know where it is they've been doing that while at the same time just running around the city trying to find it so i mean pick a strategy fellas um but yeah so of course this is one of those moments where you're in an oxygen controlled room which is called the banco vaticano Mm -hmm. and robert langdon is just you know picking up random books just going to a book picking it up putting it on his thing looking at it going to a different book I don't know what he's doing. He never... Exp- this is one of the few times where I would like Robert Langdon to give me some unnecessary explanation. Yes. He, but he he doesn't say anything. He's he fanboying randomly... over the fact that he can't see those books before. This was his first chance to get his hands on the books. So he's like... <laughs> yeah, Which but is, to be fair, how not... academics behave at archives. <laughs> but he isn't explaining what he's looking for to this to the German guy. He's just randomly opening books. Um, and then, of course, the power goes off. Um, and, of course, with the power off, uh, you'll have no oxygen in this room. And the guy who he's with, like, smokes. So, obviously, he's got, like, a thing where he, you know, basically he's kind of struggling to breathe anyway. Yeah. And uh, and so, you know, Robert Langdon is like, okay, we got to get out of here. Um, and so they shoot at the bulletproof glass. Well, first of all, they ram a small, um, like, book trolley into the glass. <laughs> You're like, that'll do it, right? Insane insane just, that they just this. bounces right off it like there's, ba- there's barely any books on it and then they try pushing a bookcase over but all the books fall out before the bookcase falls over so essentially it's just a bunch of plywood that's knocking on some bulletproof glass um, and then finally uh, robert langdon um somebody who in the previous film was very reluctant to go anywhere near a gun just takes this guy's gun and just starts randomly shooting at the glass hoping i think to kind of form a pattern that will break the glass which of course it eventually does and then the power comes back on <laughs> so, so um, now he's going to explain why he shot out a glass window in the archives that he's spent so many years trying to get into. Um, but yeah, uh, Ewan McGregor goes to see 
um, you know, the guy who like adopted him because he was all of a sudden we get his backstory as him and a bunch of people are walking towards a tomb where he explains that he was adopted and all this kind of stuff and you know his his parents were killed or whatever um and so he goes to the the, the tomb and he kind of you know where the uh, the the former pope is and he kind of kneels down and prays by it not sure what he's expecting for from that is he expecting for the pope to just open it up and go yeah somebody killed me i don't know Dan, um he's he's a priest who's going to become pope he probably I'm just going to throw this one out here. His character possibly believes in God. So when he's praying, he actually thinks there's going to be some use to it. Now, the rest of us rational human beings... I mean, sorry, I'm also defending the church here. But uh, rational human beings the rest don't of us believe that. But, but his character, yeah. it would make sense for him to be down on his own knees there yeah. and praying to the old Pope. And I think he does I guess. feel... I think he's also praying for forgiveness because he feels bad because he's really not supposed to open up the tomb of the previous Pope. That's considered to be... To be rude, I mean, to, to my my knowledge, the last time that was done was uh, when the 10th century with Pope Formosus, who was posthumously put on trial and then uh, as a corpse and then thrown in the Tiber. So there's not and a great history he, with exhuming popes. Was he found yeah. guilty of being too sexy? Yes. <laughs> for his robes. He was, yeah. he was found, too, too he was found for guilty of, like, popes. generally uh, not behaving in a way that, like, befit the honor of the papacy. Mm. Yeah, I guess dying is probably one of those things they would prefer you didn't do uh, if you're going to be Pope. Um, but I would say of the four guys that they got in these little like uh, cardinal cages, one of them like looks super like really old. Like like he's only going to be Pope for like a couple of days and then he's going to die. We're going to have like a, a Pope John Paul the first situation on our hands here. Um, what so cool yeah. if one of them was super ripped, <laughs> just <laughs> randomly like who's on a ripped Pope? Yeah, when they when they brand him, it like they they're admiring his his pecs. Um, but yeah, so they they open up the tomb because what they're looking for is a tongue that is is swollen. And when they open it up, the Pope is literally uh, doing that like uh, Einstein thing where he's po- poking his tongue out. Um, we've all seen the Andy Warhols of, uh, of Einstein doing that, um, and that's what this Pope is doing. So you know he's like, we're going to have to inform the conclave of cardinals. Um, now, uh, Langdon, again, he's in another square. He's in another piazza. I, to be honest with you at this point, I, I wasn't paying attention where they were. Because uh, um, I was like... So they're at the Church of Santa Maria della Vittoria, which I mostly just know because I'm very familiar with this sculpture because it depicts uh, okay. St. Teresa in ecstasy. It's supposed to be a religious ecstasy. She really just looks like she's having an orgasm. Great sculpture. Yeah. Um, so he's, he's there and we see a van and we see the assassin guy and he shoots a couple of um, cops who were kind of wandering around and just kind of pops them into his van. Uh, and this obviously alerts Robert Langdon, a man who quite literally cannot see the wood for the trees. <laughs> like the bad guy stands right in front of him and basically says, I'm the bad guy, much like Billie Eilish has done these past few years. And he just cannot recognize it. Uh, but this van kind of sets off his Robert Langdon senses. And then we see a third cardinal who has been thrown into the fountain Oh, wait, he, what about course, the fire guy? Oh, where was the fire guy? That was Santa Maria della Vittoria. Oh, have I skipped a cardinal? Yeah, you skipped a cardinal. Oh, my God. That's how little I was paying attention by this point in the film. Yeah. Which, they, let's not prejudge it, yeah. but... It doesn't really matter. They set a bunch of stuff on fire. Yeah. Wait, hold on yeah. a second. Yeah. So we had an earth. We had a wind. We had a fire. And now you're telling me we got a water. Darren, I've solved it. Yeah. 
I mean, the, the question that's asked after the first three Cardinals is, do you remember uh, the 21st night of September? Um, and so... I was we... going with this guy, Darren. <laughs> it's Captain Planet. <laughs> That was his four powers, wasn't it? Yeah. Earth, wind, water, fire. And fire. And, yeah, so the fire guy has been put on fire. The water guy is drowning. Duh. And, uh, you know, as he drowns, uh, Robert Langdon, the natural swimmer that he is, jumps in. And what I find really funny is that this this piazza, I mean, it is like, you know, 10 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. It's very quiet. There's, like, there's some people in a restaurant over the way. There's not that many, There's no crowd. But he just comes out of the water and he's like, somebody help me. And then he goes back under the water to try and get this guy who's like on a, a trolley with a bunch of weights on the back of him. And he tries to lift it up himself, but then he slips and he sees like this pipe with, a, with which has got like uh, bubbles coming out. And so he like puts it in the the cardinal's mouth so that he'll, he'll kind of be able to breathe. Um, and he still keeps popping out of the water saying, help me. <laughs> and nobody's really paying that much yeah. attention. And then all of a sudden, like five burly Italian guys are there and they all jump in the water and they start helping him. Yeah, so, but I I would just thought, I would have thought it'd be funny if they just let the guy drown. Right. <laughs> what, what I thought was funny the... was that he wasn't standing on about two feet of coins that have been thrown into the <laughs> Right, yeah. So yeah. okay, so this also okay. This is Piazza Navona. So this is the Fountain of the Four Rivers. It is two feet of water. First of all, the idea yeah. that they cannot yeah. like get this guy that Robert Langdon, the champion swimmer, cannot get this guy high enough to not drown is ridiculous. <laughs> There's that problem. There's also the problem that. I was actually in Rome recently and Piazza Navona has like never is never not in like swamped with people. Literally never. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. I was thinking this just looks like one of them places in Italy or I believe the locals call it Italia. Um, Which would be like swamped with people. Yeah. Constantly. And I was like. Including pretty late at night. yeah, well, that's the whole culture, is it not, in yeah. Europe, to just be constantly out drinking wine until God knows what else. Yeah, and there's tons um, of, like, little restaurants and stuff all around, like, all circled around the piazza where you're not that far yeah. from the fountain. It's, it, there would be, a, like, a ton, there's no way a ton of people would not have noticed all of this immediately as it was happening. No, yeah, but they, sorry, they did notice, but you have to understand that uh, us Europeans, um, we hear an American shouting for help. We're just ignoring that. I'm not worried about that. No, I'm worried worry about, about that they would have fine. seen the guy a, like throwing the cardinal in the two feet and the two feet of water into the fountain. But we like to mind our own business there. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> Catholics aren't sticking their nose in other people's problems. He's a like, cardinal. They might have had an issue. Don't you want to also, rescue it's one of Italy. the representatives of your like, holy faith? Think about this for a second. You see a couple of big burly dudes dragging another guy and throwing him with weights into some water and you think that some Italians are going to come over and mess with those people not a hope they're looking the other way they didn't see nothing I have they another didn't. challenge don't ask them any this. questions we're looking away I have another <laughs> challenge to this a lot of those restaurants are super touristy which means that there also would have been Americans and Americans love nothing more than to get in other people's business <laughs> yeah I mean I, I mean, obviously, these days it would be on TikTok and there would be some Karen talking about why you get out of the fountain, you're not allowed to be in the fountain and complaining about it. So, you know, but yeah, just this one tiny restaurant. And I was like, that does not look like any piazza. No, that's that very much not Piazza Navona. Yeah. So uh, he saves him. He doesn't drown. 
Congratulations, Robert Langdon. You've managed to lose three Cardinals in horrific manners, and you've managed to just about save the fourth. I guess this is why we called you in, because a symbologist can do these kind of things. Um, but we find out that they're being held at uh, Castle San Angelo. A castle of, of an angel! Castle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, they think that's where the bomb is. Uh, it's now 11.19 p.m. Uh, there are a bunch of statues pointing all over the place. So, of course, Robert Langdon just bounces from statue to statue like a pinball in a pinball machine. That's literally, like, he, looks, he looks left and right. There's three or four yeah. and he's like trying shots of him just looking, like flicking his the, head really sharply. And he's like trying to follow the like direction that all of them are like pointing in, which is just, and there's so much of that in this film. And they're just, it's not that precise like you can't really like you cannot follow that precisely like you cannot figure out a route based on the like clear and obvious direction that a statue is pointing in it's ridiculous i think what's funny as well is of course at the very beginning we had the whole speech about the path of illumination and that is what this is meant to be but at the same time like i mean it's aggressively unscientific like, it just does not make any... He literally looks at the statue, sees it's pointing in a direction, and then runs in that direction f- for an unspecified amount of, like, feet. Yeah. Like, it's not like it's ever specified how long he's got to... And then he bumps into another statue, and he's like, oh, this one points in that direction. So they go down a different corridor. Um, and then eventually, they do manage to get to the bomb. So, I mean, I guess it worked. Um <laughs> Like randomly running in different directions, uh, they find they find the cardinal cages, um, you know, and you know they meet the assassin. But the assassin's like, you could stop me or you could stop the bomb, but you can't do both, um, you know. And the assassin has been given directions to a car, so we excitedly follow him as he gets into a car, and then the car explodes. Um, goodbye, assassin guy. You're okay. I mean, you put some glasses on it and took them off, so. Uh, well done to you. Rest in peace, worst version of Paul Bettany. I, I feel yeah. at this point that we are to believe that the assassin guy was actually just a pawn in the game. Um, I'm not sure what it was about. Maybe it was the point where he blew up and died. But uh, I was like, I don't think I don't think he was the real bad guy, I said to myself. Do you well, think that we, there was we... somebody, maybe somebody who seemed like he was helping us all along, who's really the bad guy? Do you think? Yeah, kept... Well, they've already talked well, about Captain Planet, yeah. Allow me, allow me to rule somebody out for you because it cannot be this person because these tunnels eventually lead back to the Vatican and they come out of the Vatican and they're next to... Uh, they see they see some doors uh, that are opened up because uh, Stellan Skarsgård has gone to see Ewan McGregor. He demanded an audience. Um, um, and after the assassin blows up, we then see that on the floor, Stellan Skarsgård has been shot, as has yeah. another cardinal, um, or an, a priest, I think he was actually, because he was wearing purple, not red. Um, and so uh, those two guys are, de- are dead, and Hugh McGregor is branded on the chest with the cross keys of St. Peter, to which Robert Langdon says, oh yes, the first pope. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Just in case anybody in this room didn't know that Peter was the first you're standing, you're standing with uh, a bunch of people who work for the Vatican and a bunch of people who are Catholics and a bunch of people who are so Catholic that they have got titles that you have to say in Italian. Yeah, wait, they know wait, who St. Peter was. Wait, hold on a second. Wait, wait. Ewan McGregor was the first pope? Yes. Yes, he was, yeah. Right. I mean, well, controversial because obviously he was Scottish. Also, but when he was the first pope, he put on an Italian accent. Also, he's lying there branded 
what two people yeah. are killed in this scene, including uh, rest in peace, Stellan Skarsgård. And he's like, ah, yes, Peter, the first Pope. It's like, dude, priorities. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry, but, you know, to a guy who is a symbologist, every symbol is just a reason for him to say something about that symbol. <laughs> Even if it is searing sorry. flesh, the smell of burnt flesh in the air. And he's like, yeah, those are the cross keys of St. Peter, the first Pope. I feel sorry for St. Peter. Like, he was the first Pope, and now he's basically a doorman in heaven. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> give, give him some greater responsibility. Not only that, but Boston indie band Letters to Cleo did a song called St. Peter where they said the words, St. Peter, he's a liar. So, I mean, you know. He did. He it, said he didn't know band, Jesus. And he did. Yeah, he knew yeah. him the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, so. What? In your Bible. <laughs> It's not my Bible, and I know it better than you do. You guys do. are blowing my mind here. Next minute, you'll be telling me Paul and Saul were related. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my favorite thing about Paul, uh, nay Saul, um, is what? the fact that he he his entire like relationship to Jesus is: I was in the desert and I kind of fainted and I imagined Jesus. Therefore, um, Jesus is real, everyone. <laughs> and and everyone's like. Yeah. And you've also got to love the people who then like actually knew Jesus, you know, according to Christian mythology, who are then like, who's this guy? Like, we're supposed to listen to this yeah. guy? <laughs> yeah. Well, you see, and he's like, look, fellas, I got a, I got a lovely penmanship. I'm going to write you a few letters. We'll, we'll, we'll iron all of this out. Um, I'm just going to send you a few. The thing about Paul was right. Yeah. He, he fell asleep in the desert. It was a bit hot. Um, he was taking a nice mid afternoon nap, and then, and he imagined Jesus. And he kept to a simple story, right? Now, there are other people who have similar stories who then had golden tablets written in a different language that were buried in the woods, right? Now, when you start elaborating, that's when your story falls apart. Stick it yeah. in a couple of letters, tell keep, people keep to calm simple, down yeah. a little bit. That's I can't it. remember who made the joke about like Paul's, Paul's first letter to the gas board about his bill and then his second letter and his third letter <laughs> and the letter where they've cut him off. Um... So, yeah, uh, this leads us all to the necropolis. Uh, it is nine minutes to midnight. The bomb has got to be in St. Peter's tomb. That, uh, that's the only thing that makes sense uh, at this point. Because otherwise, why would the cross keys have been branded into Hume McGregor? The innocent, um, you know, the innocent priest. Why would they be if it wasn't that? Of course, they get to the bomb just in time for the brunette to change the batteries <laughs> on the bomb. So um, that's what it boils down to. Uh, she should have just took like a charger down there, you know, like uh, one of the yeah, little handy packs. Well, it's 2009. Yeah. They hadn't been invented yet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know if they're like USB-C or USB-B. Maybe that's the issue with the, the canisters. Well, she only had Apple ones with her. And uh, oh, it was just yeah, confusing. It's like You need one of those like adapters. It's so annoying. Ewan volunteers to take the bomb. He grabs the bomb. Uh, they change the batteries, but they're like, it's too cold down here for the batteries to work. So the bomb's got to be go go somewhere. Uh, I don't think so anybody Hume actually McGregor... exactly tells him to do anything. They're just like, oh, I don't know what to do. And he just like grabs it. Yeah, they don't goes. have the conversation. It's, I mean, a film where Robert Langdon has just explained to a guy who's had his own chest burned that those are the cross keys of St. Peter's, the first pope. We are surprisingly light on dialogue in this scene, but there's just there's a few assumptions where people are like, oh, the battery's not going to last. We've got to get rid of the bomb. You've got like five minutes, you know, before it goes off, which, again, didn't make any sense because the, ba- the situation right. isn't like the battery situation isn't great anyway. It's not there's no timer. It's it's just going to fail mm-hmm. anyway. So he takes the bomb. He, he runs up to a helicopter. 
And of course, uh, being a priest, he is helicopter trained. Um, so he tells the helicopter that actually is to get justified. Aid. It actually, I believe, <laughs> says, I, I, you know, credit where credit is due. It actually does say at some point that he like served in the army or something. And so yeah. I think it is, in, and I think in the book it might even actually be like clearer that he like is because of that, like he was like an army pilot or something. Yeah, he does briefly mention his military training, so yeah, it makes sense. But he's going to flow up. He's going to fly up into the sky solo. The crowd of onlookers below, uh, one of them says "bomber," and then you know, so he's and not now, but he's got like a um, like an old style camcorder, uh, but with like a lot of like a bigger. It's like a, like a tiny camcorder. It's like a it's like a bigger one. But he's okay. seen the bomber, and so he turns to the person next to him, says "bomber," and nothing else. And uh, and so off runs Ewan McGregor, gets in the helicopter, flies the helicopter up, and then um, finds a parachute and jumps out. So not quite a sacrifice. You know, he's not quite Jesus. But like if Jesus got up to the cross and then was like, sorry, fellas, I'm not having some stick <laughs> nursery in my hands. Um, I've I'll, changed I'll my mind cro- about this. Don't worry about it. Um, what, I, yeah. what I think is funny about this is um, this is the ending of The Dark Knight Rises. Um where yeah, basically he flies much. a nuclear bomb into into empty water and then just does he survive? Did he not survive? So in reality, is I think Batman's the new pope. So Batman should makes be pope. complete sense. I'd take him yeah. over most popes. Um, well, what's funny, of course, is he parachutes out, but then the helicopter explodes in a nice explosion. It's a nice looking explosion, mm-hmm. uh, which also also drain like shoots the water out of the fountains. And it's like a shockwave that comes out after it and it like breaks some freezes on some walls. Um, but what I find is funny is obviously, you know, Hugh McGregor, his flesh has not recovered from literally like 20 minutes earlier being <laughs> branded. And he, he, heli- he, he takes the parachute but obviously the blast knocks his parachute off path so he lands on a roof and just bumps his chest along this roof and i was like <laughs> ow 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 yeah that that is kind of Sorry, i was like that's kind of funny that like yeah but I, what i what i think is funny is obviously when we find out what we're going to find out in a few minutes it's kind of funny that 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 obviously wasn't deliberate he didn't mean to do that right um but yeah, but now he, he gets taken, he, you know, he, he kind of floats down into the crowd. And again, I love how he just bumps into a bunch of Italians and they fall over like pins and they don't, like they, don't, they kind of sort of get up, but they don't. I thought they were going to hold him aloft and send him across as if he was like body. Yeah, surfing. that's what I was going to say. It was like you were expecting, a, G- you were expecting a Jesus Christ yeah. pose from him. That's yeah. what I was expecting. Yeah, but they missed a chance. Instead, he just goes to the hospital. Um and while he's in hospital, we go to the conclave and we see that Rance Howard is there. Welcome back, Rance Howard, to, you know, Ron Howard's films. And he's talking about, look, this guy, he's just, you know, blown up a bomb above the city and saved everyone. Maybe he's the new Jesus. He should be the Pope. And what I like is that Rance Howard doesn't attempt any accent. He's just very American, uh, which makes sense. You know, there are American Catholic cardinals, I guess. So... Uh, but I just find it funny because it's like there's like four films in a row where Rance Howard has like played a priest, and this is like one of them. <laughs> so it's just like he was a priest in Apollo Thirteen as well. So it's like it's kind of funny to me that he seems to be uh, constantly being cast as as uh, you know a clergy. Mm. Um, He's got and, a very clerical vibe about him. He does, yeah. Um, and so we get the idea that you know maybe uh, they're considering turning him into the Pope. And obviously, we we then see somebody going to get Ewan from the hospital. And they're like, hey, the Cardinals want to talk to you. And obviously, he's like, oh, okay. Yeah. But then, in between, 
um, we we get a little bit where uh, finally Robert Langdon thinks he's figured something out because he's like, well, the Pope was ill. And so, you know, Hugh McGregor had a bunch of cameras installed just in case it, for some reason he ended up kind of being ill. And, you know, so he's keeping an eye on the Pope. And so he rewinds the tape and we then go into the scene where we see what happened with Stellan Skarsgård and um, Ewan McGregor, where Ewan McGregor obviously uh, is kind of acute because he's he's in he's in some diaries or something that this guy has read. Um, that it's obviously the journals of the Langdon. guy who died at the beginning and yeah. talk about yeah, the being journals. in court. Yeah, talk about this whole like audience that he had uh, with the Pope, but where the Pope says this research sounds yeah, fun. Well, yeah. The, the, one, of course, you know, uh, notable in CERN is there are so many, so many Catholic priests working at CERN. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, you, you, know. can't, you can't even move without some lad just Catholic praying bastard. over his work. Like, just, oh, please, God, let me find the Higgs boson this way. Oh, I didn't find <laughs> it again. Yeah, the, the controversy lies over the fact that the Higgs boson is also colloquially called the God particle, which angers Ewan McGregor. The idea that science something 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 blasphemy. the creation of the universe yeah he sees it as being blasphemous which is it's kind of funny because like you know i i don't i can't remember if this uh, this whole thing came about before the higgs boson was actually discovered because i think it was a couple of years after this film came out that they actually ran the thing yeah, it came later yeah, 20, 2014 yeah. <laughs> yeah so i guess it's kind of i mean it was in the zeitgeist so mm-hmm. you know it was going to happen but they didn't make four buckets of bloody antimatter that could be blown up um, you know, and in fact, CERN put out uh, a web page uh, debunking pretty much everything scientific in this film because it had become so kind of, you know, in popular culture. They were just like, no, none of this. Antimatter, no, no. They just I think it's, put- it's way funnier than I think, uh, like, as facetious as this sounds, naming something the God particle has maybe a tenth of a percent of people anywhere getting upset about it if they'd have named it the master chief particle like the internet would have <laughs> fallen apart with fanboys of xbox going master chief would be way cooler than this we, we definitely discover him earlier than that like it's just it's so ridiculous that people would be upset at the idea of the strange thing about it is i know i know quite a few priests i know you know i had dinner in the bishop's house there recently they're not they they don't get upset about the idea of the word God being used somewhere else. Like they're not sitting there going, "Oh, there's a movie called Only if God Forgives." We'd better ban that. Like that's not how it works. We have to yeah. murder a Although, ton of people because there's a movie I'd- that uses the word God. Although I would love to have a screening with like a bunch of priests where they watch Only God Forgives because by the end of that film, they would be like, "What the hell did we just watch?" I, it would be great just to see them all saying in, in that infamous fight scene where there's just a bunch of priests going yeah f him up f him up bad nobody <laughs> likes that yeah. guy he made la la land get him dude, dude break his beautiful face yeah um so yeah we find out that basically ewan mcgregor who masterminded this whole thing where he would murder four cardinals um and then kill the person who did all that um, and then also killed Stellan Skarsgård by yelling Illuminati at him and having all the the, all the, right. all the police come in and just shoot him. Um, and then also do that to the other guy who who knows about this. And also uh, he planned blow all up that, but then half of Rome. 
Yeah, yeah, and uh, but then also sacrifice himself by you know getting to the bomb because I'm sure that's what his plan was anyway was to get to the bomb and and blow it up above the you know threaten to blow up uh, the Vatican City or whatever, but do, do it in the sky and make himself look good like this is his entire plan. Mm-hmm. And yet the one thing he forgot was the fact that he's installed like six <laughs> cameras in the Pope's. Like he's lit. I mean, but it seems like, like he should have uh, known the, the, about because he was like the only person who knew about yeah. the Pope's illness, right? He was the one who was like, I think, like what administering the shots, like because that's how he was able to poison yeah. him. Like he's he's the Pope's guy. So like, how did he not know that he had installed cameras? Like the Pope didn't do it; he did it. Well, so, have I, you ever, didn't make any sense? Have you ever seen the Sixth Sense, Darn? So I did see the Sixth Sense. Yeah, uh, I, I accidentally we, spoiled the ending of the Sixth Sense. Uh, oh, but when, when I jokingly leaned over to a friend of mine when we saw the trailer before Blair Witch, and I said to my friend, "Do you know what the twist is? It's that he's dead the whole time." Oh, and then, darn. and then two months later, after I saw the Sixth Sense, I immediately phoned that friend. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> I'm "So sorry." I said, "I'm sorry. I accidentally spoiled the Sixth Sense for you." Twenty-two later, twenty-two, twenty-three years later, now he he hasn't forgiven me for accidentally spoiling the ending of that film. Well, well, uh, in that scene or in that movie, Misha Barton's character uh, is a is a dead girl, and uh, yes. you know she's a ghost, and she recorded herself because she she wanted people to know what her mother done. So what I'm saying is perhaps, perhaps the Pope knew that mm. uh, Ewan McGregor was going to do this, so he had the cameras installed to catch Ewan McGregor in Ooh. the act. Why wouldn't he just? fire him that would be a lot easier it than was yeah because he would because he, he didn't have any proof at that point but he's the pope. there's one thing if there's one thing a pope knows is number one to follow the rules and then number two he's infallible so the rules don't really count he could have sacked him anyway <laughs> and number three yeah. it doesn't proof is really actually very flexible because you know i mean you have proof for example of like priests abusing children you could just ignore that proof so it seems like you could also manufacture proof where you know where you don't have any like in this particular case yeah i believe yeah. i believe when they say manufacture proof they mean have faith yeah, he had faith that Ewan McGregor was actually secretly a bad guy who masterminded an elaborate plan, including his own death. I mean, I, I mean, I think it, I think it's, it's funny that, uh, you know, uh, yeah, like just, I mean, well, I mean, what I, what I like about this sequence is we go into it by them rewinding the tape, and then when we come out, we see Armin Mueller style is standing there watching the video with them, mm-hmm. <laughs> as if they've watched it twice and then gone, okay, now we can show it to him. Right. Um, and obviously, we find out then with a bunch of dramatic uh, men in red, you know, dresses with, with kind of frilly things that uh, the conclave has not called him to make him pope. Um, you know, they all, they don't say a word. They just look very seriously at him. And he kind of gets the gist that he's not welcome. I'm just like and sitting there uh, singing along to my uh, slight variation on Hamilton lyrics. Of, well, he's never going to be pope now. Never going to be pope now. <laughs> well, what I was thinking was they stood out and they were like, come forward now, uh, Patrick McKenna. And he stands out. And then uh, Arya Stark just comes out from the left and slits his throat. And he was like, "Oh no, I, I guess you totally got me, damn it! I thought I was, I thought I was in for a good, a good surprise." Um, well, it turns out this surprise is not welcome because the police are also the Vatican police are also in in that room. Uh, we know the conclave is meant to be just cardinals uh, doing what cardinals do, and. Uh, it turns out these police are all over the place and they're standing in dramatic fashion at various corners so that you can see them and then they can start to chase after him no. rather than them just kind of like 
Like he's kind walking away so slowly because he's like injured yeah. or whatever. And it's like if you jogged, you would catch him in three seconds. <laughs> yes. And so, of course, he does what any any sane person would do. Um, and particularly in this case, a huge fan of System of a Down. And he decides to sing some chop suey lyrics as he immolates himself. He pours some, you know, um, oil on himself and then he gets a candle because there's dozens of, I mean, there's candles I all over candles. the place in this gaff. Um, and he takes the candle, sets fire to himself and says, into your hands, I commend my spirit. Sir, don't you know um, that suicide is a sin? I mean, according to the Catholic the Church, is, by the way, not my personal beliefs. <laughs> Because he's a priest, he can he can forgive himself just before he dies, um, and then everything's fine. Um, like as he's burning up, you can't hear it because he's screaming. But underneath, he's going, "I forgive you," and then you know. Can you do that it. to yourself? I think you can do that for yourself. I mean, I'm sure there's a bunch of priests who probably have tested that theory. In terms I, of like... I can, I, I'm fairly certain what he did um, was earlier on in the day he'd gone down and bought an indulgence. That just allowed yeah. him to have one sin that day. He's like, oh, I, got this, I got this. It's like a get out of jail free card. It's a get into heaven free card. He's like, he just shows up and said, Peter, boom, indulgence. What are you going to yeah, do about as, it? As and the, he also as the murdered dying. multiple people that day. So I think he needs a well, few more than one sin. Now uh, plenary indulgence covers everything. You only need one to get out of everything. As you, soon as you, but, as soon as you play it, that's it. But you, usually you they give you a Sarah. Clean he was the stand-in. I mean, he was the yeah. stand-in pope. You see. And when you understand in Pope, there's no such thing as a crime because everything yeah. you do is justified. That's how it works. But okay, but typically also plenary indulge- indulgences, those take care of your past sins, right? Those wipe your slate clean. You don't get to get a plenary indulgence and then backdate it. Yeah, he, listen, this is, you, again, yeah, this always happens when it comes up to this religion. You just don't understand the vagaries. He bought a double indulgence, right? Mm. And when you pay double for your indulgence, you get to you get to have like this grace period before it comes into effect. I mean, he also threw in an Uno reverse card, and while he was the pretend Boom. pope, exactly, he, he made it legal for Uno reverse. Uh, yeah, obviously he's he's not only is he quoting Chop Suey by uh, System of Dan, which I loved because I was actually when he said it, I was actually singing those lyrics along with it. Uh, but apparently, this is also what Jesus said when he died, according to Luke twenty three forty six. Of course, we all know it. Um, you know, when he's he, like, apparently he called out in a loud voice, which I mean, I'm sorry, but you've been hanging on a cross for three hours. There's no way you're calling out anything in a loud voice. But apparently he did because he's Jesus. I mean, and he said, Father, into good. your hands, I commit my spirit. It doesn't sound as good for you have. And Jesus pathetically whimpered from the cross. Well, the funny thing is, he said he said that apparently with his last breath. But according to one of the other fellas, he said nothing. And then according to the other one, he said, uh, Father, why have you abandoned me? It's so, almost as if Jesus... they fundamentally are not compatible with one another and probably none yeah. of them witnessed any of it and just made it up. Well, again, going to let you in on a little secret that all of the rest <laughs> of us know that we keep secret from you. Um, his last words were, <laughs> Oh, sh**, this stings. And then he passed away. Darren, are you going to have to bleep all that moment. out? I will be bleeping all of that, yeah. Um, the fu- the <laughs> funny thing... <laughs> The funny, <laughs> the funny thing is, according to the according to the Gospels, Jesus basically did like a whole podcast while he was up there, like giving various different opinions <laughs> on stuff. So... My favorite bit was when he started talking about how vaccine was a choice and he shouldn't be judged on it. <laughs> he also recommended yeah. ivermectin; it's a great treatment. Yeah, he also said, you know, if you need a new bed, 
Uh, then you can get one delivered <laughs> right to your door. Oh, uh, have you been yeah. on a cross all day? <laughs> you, need <to> <laughs> you, you need to rest. Um, so, yeah, he, you know, Ian McGregor's dead. The guy who killed all the guys is dead. The three of the Cardinals are dead. Uh, and so, you know, but at this moment, we find out a new Pope has been chosen because the chimney thing went white, uh, which is funny because obviously, like, like we had one Pope, like, in all of our lifetimes. For I didn't. I, I actually had two Popes. Because I was born before Pope John Paul the first died, um, he was he was very briefly alive, and then he died, and then we had Pope John Paul II for forever, um, and then and then obviously we had Raxinder, and he then resigned, and then we got the new guy. Uh, but the funny, so that means we've seen like three new popes in like the last decade, whereas like this procedure would have been kind of nobody would have really have known about it because the last time it happened was like seventy six. Mm-hmm. So it's funny that like we're all familiar with the whole white smoke thing. Uh, and I do remember when that happened in real life, there was a whole bunch of comedy shows over here in the UK that kept making jokes about different coloured smoke and what it meant. And it was very funny because it was like, oh, red smoke means this. You know, people were making jokes about marijuana and green smoke, you know, yeah. kind of easy jokes, easy yeah. jokes to make. Uh, but we have we have white smoke. And the guy who's reporting for CNN tells us that it was a swift and smooth conclave. I'm sorry, buddy, but there was a bomb that exploded in the sky last night. How has this been smooth? I mean... Like, you know, I mean, admittedly, the Conclave have only been there for two days. But still, you know, I mean, how does he know? He doesn't. Um, but I do like that he's like the most generic, like, reporter. The guy who's doing the CNN thing. And we go past him a few times and he's just like a really generic, like... And he's also doing that whole thing that reporters in films do of just giving us basic, like, facts. Um, but yeah. And then Robert Langdon, being one of the most important people in the world, is the first person to meet the new Pope. Which, of course, is a thing that would definitely happen. You know, if you had a symbologist lying around, he would be the first person to meet the new Pope. Um, and we find out that the guy who's going to... I mean, he did save his life. Yes. Well, there is that. Yeah, that's why he calls him in. He's like, thanks for saving my life. Thanks for stopping me from drowning. Now I'm the new Pope. So I guess the Conclave, like, what were they considering? Like, when these Cardinals were all kidnapped, what were they... I mean, I know they were the favoured ones, but what were they considering? If the, if the guys were all kidnapped and they're all going to be murdered within the space of four hours, who were they going to vote for? And that's what it seems like. It seems like they were just like, who should be Poe? <laughs> and everyone was like, eh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, maybe I, There was a good chance it was going to be Scarlett right. Johansson. <laughs> she she was up for every role. They just cast a bunch time. of ballots, and that's why it was uh, it came up black the first time because like everybody just voted for himself. Yeah, yeah it was me. <laughs> I would I would love that actually. I'd love that if in the conclave, like the first round is just everyone's like, okay, we know you're all going to do it. Just vote for yourself the first time, and then we'll get that out. Just of the way. do it once, yeah. so you can say. Yeah. Do, you do it they, once. Uh, do you think they cut out a scene where Robert Langdon meets the new pope and uh, explains to him what it means to be the pope? <laughs> Yeah, he's like, do you know? Do you know that the, hey, the Pope is, know this, is the? This hat needs yeah, to be the Pope. he's also known as the Holy See. Did you know that? And oh the guy's God. like, yeah, what are I'm you the, saying? I'm the Pope. I know this. Um, I'm a cardinal. Uh, yeah. Uh, so he me, he's good. Uh, which Pope name did you make? What did you take? Let me tell you about all of the popes that have had that name. I bet you don't know. Uh, fortunately, he picks Luke. Uh, this is Pope Luke the first. Uh, uh, and Lando he... was right there. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. And and, and the, what's funny is like Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks when hearing that it's Luke, he's like, yeah, it's a good name, it's a good Pope name. It's like, what, like who do you know is called Luke apart from bloody Luke Skywalker? Nobody knows anyone called Luke. I like to think it's, I like to think it's an honor of Pope Lando. Yeah, probably. Yeah, because I mean, what he, he wants it so that in the record books it can say Luke and Lando, and he's like, 
We just we yeah, just need exactly. A, now there are two Star <laughs> two Star Wars, Wars popes. Uh, we just need the next guy to make sure he's Pope Han, and we've got everything sorted. And then the uh, first female yeah. pope would still be referred to as Princess Leia because you know <laughs> we can't give her the actual honorific. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, excuse me, Pope. It's Pope General Leia yeah, now. That would be yeah, that would be funny if that's the direction they went in. But um, yeah, so apparently uh, the Pope's new consigliere uh, is Armin Mueller-Stahl. Um, and they do have some back and forth where he's like, oh, you know, you'll you'll advise him and all. And he's like, yeah, but I'm about to die. I'm not going to advise him for very long. Uh, turned out not to be completely true. Armin Mueller-Stahl is still, as we record, alive. Uh, but he did only do two more films after this. Um, mm. So, you know, this is kind of... And the, the next one was basically like a straight-to-DVD nonsense. So this is probably the last time he was in a theatrically released film, at least. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Uh, he's given a book uh, that apparently he's got stuff so he can finish his, his own book. Um, part two of the path to illumination or whatever it's called. Um, I'm sure Sarah has some thoughts on them giving him this book. Yeah, archives don't <laughs> just give away books. They don't even do that at like my archives. And my archives, I look at things that nobody cares about. Like I look at documents that I'm probably the only person that has touched these things in 40 just, years. Uh, just very and quickly. They're not giving me just free stuff. That, Sarah. They're certainly not giving him stuff from Galileo's trial. Sarah, just want you to admit that you just said you look at archives that nobody cares about. Please tell us about your two books yeah. you have released in 2022, please. <laughs> I will have two books released in 2022 that include material from the archives that I have worked in. Um, and they didn't give you the books to keep. <laughs> they will sell. They will sell seven copies. And I will have uh, one of no, them. No, shockingly enough. Yeah, shockingly enough. Nobody was like, oh, I see. I see you've got a book coming out on this. Would would you just like this this register to hold on to? You know, you can give it back to us when you die. Just leave it to us in your will. If you wouldn't mind, that would be nice yeah, of you. I... If you would just leave this to us that like when you die, but, but you can just keep it to write your book. I think him giving the book is the foot like him giving the book, maybe because he saved like the ne- the next Pope. Maybe the Pope's like, look, we've probably got another copy of that book somewhere. Let him have a copy. Like you know, probably you know. <laughs> But in this it's presented as if it isn't and okay, and I also find it problematic in that Okay, it is possible. There's bureaucracy. It's annoying, but it is possible to get access to the Vatican archives and look at anything that is a kind of standard part of their collections as this book is presented as being. Now, any other researcher who wants to look at this has to personally petition this one professor at this obnoxious elite institution and see if he likes you enough to let you look at this book. That seems like a significantly worse system than it actually just being in an archive. I'm not sure anyone would call BU elite. Isn't that where he teaches? BU? <laughs> and yeah. what, I, what I think about it is, is just what Diane was saying, there. like, there's a good chance it's a second copy. I would love to find out that they just letter bound a bunch of photocopies. <laughs> so he's like, oh my God, leave it to me. This is, a, this is an adequate facsimile. <laughs> Yeah, that that I would buy. They're just like here. Here's a facsimile. And it's not, and the thing is, the guy who was copying the book was doing it so quickly that most of the pages are like off kilter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they're quickly like, quick, copy this page. The Pope wants to give him a copy of something before he goes. Uh, yeah, Armin Mueller-Stahl is like, yeah. When you die, make sure to will it back to us. I'm like, buddy. Once he's written his book, can't he just post it back to you? Like, gee, like seriously, <laughs> like. Um, but yeah, and then of course the Pope does what all popes do, and he walks out to a CGI rendering of St Peter's Square filled with a bunch of CGI people and unconvincing CGI renders of waterfalls uh, and fountains. Sorry, uh, there are kind of uh, and 
this shot just looks super fakey. And I was like, clearly they would like the Vatican are never going to let you go up on that balcony. So, but still like, it looked like a really super fakey shot to end with. And I was like, okay, I guess this is where the film ends. Unfortunately, I will have to meet Robert Langdon again uh, in Inferno. Um, And I was just like, I thank God this film is over. Um, Yeah. It's bad. Because I mean, the, like the villains plan didn't make any sense to me. Like the constant, like no. none of the the stuff about the archives, even without having any background, I could know. There's definitely no way that the archives can suffocate you. Um, although saying that, I, I do live close enough to a library that has a temperature control room that has copies of Shakespeare's first folio. Um, so, you know, there there are obviously archives that have temperature control rooms that, you know, but n- right, not, not and like they're this. actually are archives that do have the ability to cut off oxygen to the room, which specifically essentially in the case of fire, fire, because essentially it's like, okay, yeah. But it's not going to be set up in such a way that just like randomly messing around, that like a random bout of like an electrical outage or this like, you know, this like messing with the electrical grid is not going to be set up so stuff that could like just like shut it off and then everybody in the archive is going to die. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, I mean, like those types of archives, they have like a thing where it's like they can tell that people are in there. Like they can detect carbon dioxide. So it's not going to turn the oxygen off while they can, while they think somebody's in there. So it, I, I don't know, that, all that right. stuff's ridiculous. The whole, like we say, they're running around an area that could be done in 25 minutes, but they're constantly half an hour from everything and they're taking way too long to get there in cars. So they're going down streets. Even one point where they're like, turn the lights on and they're like, do you want to attack, you know, do you want to attract the attention of the international press? Who cares? It's a, it's a police light. What are the press going to do? Turn around and go, oh no, those guys are going to try to find a bomb that's in St. Peter's tomb. Hey, no. There's a, a flashing light there. What does that and mean? And also, like, at that point, like, people have died in public places already. Yeah. You think nobody's noticed? There's three cardinals dead by that point. So, guys, again, turn a light on. Cardinals are dying every 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Like this, this guy, if anything, this guy slowed down the rate to go one an hour. <laughs> yeah. They do have hmm. a lot of cardinals. Now, I'm just like... I'm just picturing like Sarah, like you know, like a commercial with like Sarah McLachlan music, and it goes like every twenty minutes a cardinal dies. <laughs> you can save in him today. The castle Your donation to the Catholic the Church. In in Italy, though, only in Italy, cardinals everywhere else are safe. They don't have to worry about it. It's just in Italy, there's like a, a high death rate. Um, but yeah, so I mean, you know, I mean, obviously this is a podcast about Tom Hanks, but this film just feels like he's not getting a chance to do anything. There's that one scene where he runs along yeah. the rooftop after the the assassin guy has repelled away um and they keep running for some reason i don't, i didn't understand why they were still running they see that there's this little bit of rope where the guy has repelled down i know they can't get down that way but they don't they, they don't stop and look at it and s- they just keep running and then a car explodes and they keep on running and i was like why were they running in the first place i thought they were running to get the assassin guy but evidently not but i i, I seem to have lost the thread of exactly what was happening in the film at that point but you know tom hanks is not saving this in any way like He's not get like the stuff obviously in this like the swimming and the Mickey Mouse watch was stuff that was missing from the first film that people who were fans of the books complained about and that's why they stuck them in here out of nowhere like all of a sudden he's pointing his Mickey Mouse watch and you know that guy who comes from the Vatican doesn't have to go and get him while he's doing his morning swim he could have waited an hour and got him after it wouldn't have made any difference in the end of the day but obviously those are things that they wanted to put in because apparently those are the apart from him constantly seeing symbols and telling people stuff they don't want to know those are the only character traits that Robert Langdon has is, you know, one, he likes to swim, two, he wears a Mickey Mouse watch, three, 
it'll talk your ear off about something that you already know because you're more of an expert than this guy who's just popped in for no reason. Um, you know, and I, I like obviously the whole oh good the symbologist here is funny, but at the same time, Stellan Skarsgård should have just gone. What's he going to bring to the table, and why is he telling us about the history of stuff we already know? Just get him out of here. He's in the way, quite frankly. I don't even think that the brunette from CERN was particularly necessary to anything, but occasionally she translates something that's written in Latin, and it's like, okay, I guess that's her skill, but like, she's well, got she no changed those batteries, Darren. Oh, she did do that, yeah. But you know, anyone I think could have done that. Anyone could have took a battery down to a bomb and changed it. But no, like, you need just... to have at least two PhDs. <clears throat> oh to, yeah, uh, change a battery. <laughs> yeah, I just, I mean, you know, I feel like we. It's going to be obvious what the judgments are. But let's start with Ollie. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, T Hanks or yeah, well, because Sarah's new here. No T Hanks. We've got to let yeah. her know what the ratings are. So you always go with mm. the, the tanks and no T Hanks, and obviously. Um, because I, I'm, I'm from my own podcast, uh, Popular Culture. Um, we have our own rating. Uh, so we had to go, that's Pope. Like we're saying, that's dope when it's really good. Or we say, that's a Pope for me, dog. When we don't like something. <laughs> when we replace the word nope with Pope. And uh, in this case, that's a Pope for me, dog. Um, do not watch this movie. It's got lots of Pope action. But it's a very, very bad film. Uh, genuinely, I think now I've seen it. I'm going to say three times in full, but the reality is probably twice in full and then one other point time where I just kind of fell asleep while it was happening. And both times I had to take a break in the middle and both, like, it's just boring, non-essential. Uh, I love Tom Hanks. Um, I think he's a fantastic actor. But when people talk about miscasting, I think this is mm-hmm. one of the worst miscastings in history. I would take Tom Cruise as six foot six built like a tank jack reacher as a better casting than tom hanks as robert langdon it doesn't make any sense whatsoever um and i think it does a disservice to what tom hanks is good at to make him play this character he's good at making special people or people who are aren't normal feel normal and they remove all of that from him and um yeah so uh yeah it's a it's a no t hanks from me darren and the thing is as well i love i love both jack reacher and jack reacher uh never go back those films are great they're really fun yeah they're fun the, yeah the, the opening like nine minutes of jack reacher is just so insanely great as the guy just like kills a bunch of people in silence doesn't say a single word just you know a guy just killing people and then wandering off uh and then know. the introduction of uh of Jack Reacher himself were like, you never find this guy. Yeah, he's, like, he's not going to be oh, found. And then they like, knock on the door. Sorry, we got a Jack Reacher here to see. <laughs> yeah, that is a that's a great like you know a list of all his accomplishments, and then it's like he he'll never be found, and it's like oh we got Jack Reacher at the door for you. Just yeah, a wonderful. Uh, yeah. for the first Wait. Jack Reacher movie is genuinely one of the best thriller cop movies. It's like it's like a seventies hard boiled cop movie. That's what it, it feels like. And then Robert Duvall just shows up out of nowhere at the end. For yeah. no particular reason, <laughs> and, and I can't see, but I'm still got. Call me Gunny, and I'm still gonna yeah. shoot. Yeah, and he like he's he's winking because he's preserving his eye, which I just <laughs> all this so stuff funny. is just like insane. Um, and that's the kind of detail that you want from like a novel, like kind of insane details like that. 
And this film doesn't give us anything. And no. so we go to Sarah for yeah. her judgment. I feel it's obvious, but, you know, we have to say it out loud. Yeah, I'm also a no tea hanks. And I will say part of my no tea hanks is because I have a lot of frustrations with the choices are made about that are made about how this film depicts archival research, academia, the pre-modern and early modern past, etc. The plot is ridiculous. But I also... As people are saying, I think it's very fundamentally not a good Tom Hanks movie. And that's both because he's miscast, but also because I feel like he has very, very little to do. Despite being the main character, Tom Hanks for most of this movie feels almost irrelevant and honestly barely feels like he's acting. Yeah. That it's, it really could be, a sen- like Thomas, Tom Hanks could be played, basically could be a cardboard cutout in this movie and you would barely notice, except that he would get a little soggy when he tries to save that guy from drowning. Uh, so uh, yeah, so this is definitely going to be a no T. Hanks from me. Yeah, I think the weird thing is like, there is a, there is a, a trilogy of films. Obviously this will become a trilogy pretty soon. Um, where you have a character who is essentially uh, kind of the main character but is not really involved in the plots and that's Back to the Future sounds insane to say it but Marty McFly in the first Hmm. film not the main character it's his parents Marty McFly in the second film not the main character it's the various iterations of Biff whether he's in the future or in the past you know and then the final film Marty McFly not the main character it's the doc that's the main character in the final film Mm -hmm. he's just there to Mm -hmm. kind of you know take us along for the ride and it feels like that like almost the same thing is happening here with robert langdon and with tom hanks where his character is kind of taking us along for the ride like he's allowed into the vatican to to look at all this stuff that's going on behind the scenes into the investigation after this pope has died and whatever but he's not contributing anything um and no and also actually in this film who who is the main character there's no character who really seems that important. I mean, arguably the main character in terms of the person who really most matters is actually the camera lingo. Yeah, I mean, like Hugh McGregor, I think, you know, you could say, I mean, it's the same The same thing is kind of true with The Da Vinci Code. Ian McKellen, all of a sudden, mm. once he appears in that film, the film becomes all about him. And it's yeah. nothing to, like, you're like, it, it doesn't, like, it's not, like it's meant to be about the, you know, Priory the Scion, again, thing that didn't really exist. Um, right. the, the, it's meant to be about her like it's meant to be about the, the descendant of Jesus or whatever but like she's so incidental to the whole plot that by the end you're like oh wait she mm-hmm. was the main character like Robert Langdon definitely wasn't the main character in that film and he's definitely not the main character in this film He's but he's, uh, he's not a, he's, he's not a Marty McFly he's, he's not giving us not right. the main character in Inferno no. either Darren. Well, well, you know, mm. and also to and also to even add to this, this film also I will add uh, takes our you know we always have to have precisely one uh, one token female character <laughs> in our Dan Brown novels and their adaptations, and at the very least in the Da Vinci Code, at least she's moderately important and sort of has something to do. In this, uh, there's very little point of her even being there 90% of the time. Literally the only thing that she does for which she actually really matters is that she changes a battery at the end. And I think she does have a little bit more to do in the book and her expertise is occasionally slightly more relevant though I could be misremembering but it's also just just so frustrating that is again exactly one female character and she's useless and, and pointless and as Sarah knows in reality she would probably be just doing symbology and history study on the side line like just as a just as a hobby 
um, because like a, a real academic, like a physicist like herself, she, you know, in the spare time would probably knock out a master's degree in some sort of historical relevance. Like, just, well, like, listen, I've got a, wit, a weekend with nothing on. I might as well, might as well work myself up. I mean, oh, what's this? I can make up a story about know. something that happened 700 <laughs> years ago with no proof. I mean, inexplicably, she knows Latin and a ton of other languages, whereas the person who would actually need all of those languages in order to have his research exist, Robert Langdon, knows zero, apparently. I mean, in, in, all, in all fairness, I think that speaks more to the European education system and the American education system in that... But he's an academic. I'm, I'm American. I learned nothing in high school, but I can at least read, oh God, eight languages? Because I'm a medieval historian and I need that to yeah, do my yeah, research. There's a, there's and a humble there's... brag if I ever heard one there. there, there. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> so obviously Robert Langdon, if he's doing this very wide ranging art historical research, it is frankly ridiculous that you would have his qualifications and his tenured professorial position and not know multiple languages that you have learned specifically for your for your research and that you would not be able to get a PhD without learning. We, we did see, though, in the first film that basically his entire um, class is just a screen, like a bunch of screenshots where he, he does a gotcha on the audience. True. <laughs> and he's like, look. True, I mean. This is a swastika. Who, who do you think has it? Uh-uh, it's the Buddhists. You know, that kind of stuff. Like, that's his, in, that's his entire class. Uh, yeah, no tea hangs from me. I mean, I'm, you know, I said on, I said on the last episode, which was uh, The Great Book Howard, which is a fun film. Uh, John Malkovich is really fun in it. Uh, Colin Hanks is very good. Um, you know, I said I'm probably never going to watch that again uh, because even though I enjoyed it, you know, and Charlie Wilson's War, you know, they're not really essential films. Like, they're just, they're okay films. I definitely am never, ever going to watch this again. And I'm just dreading the fact that I've got to watch Inferno. Like, it's just... You know, I was hoping that maybe uh, Tom Hanks would be able to save these films, but I, I just, as you say, he's completely miscast. He's, you know, you can, you can get, I mean, he was miscast in Bonfire of the Vanities, but at least that had a director who was doing something with the rest of it, mm-hmm. um, even though mm-hmm. it kind of amounted to nothing. But, you know, there was some, you know, there's a shot in there that cost like $860,000 and it's just, it's just like a three second shot of a Concorde taking off, um, <laughs> you know. So, but at least they were tr- like, they were trying to do something like at least there was something interesting going on. At least there was some like, interesting casting. I mean, you know, no disrespect to uh, all of the other people who aren't Tom Hanks in this film, but it's just a bunch of Italian and like German guys. And I, I, I none of the characters, none of the characters ever stuck. You know, like there's a bunch of police guys who were running around and I'm like, I don't like some of them have got slightly different uniforms, yeah. but you're like, I don't know who this guy's meant to be. Like the guys who are like the Vatican police at the end and they're wearing like those weird free like collars. I'm like, who are these guys meant to be? Who are they protecting? Who do they work for? Like none of it yeah. makes any sense. And having Robert Langdon walk into it and go, things are a bit complicated doesn't excuse it. Like you should be able to explain to the audience who is in charge of who and why someone's investigating something um, and just none of that is ever explained and it's just a complete and total mess and you know i i'm and from a oh sorry uh, i was just gonna say and from a character standpoint too i also will note so you know stellan skarsgård is an excellent actor oh, yeah. his character is so ill-developed that i don't think you would even notice that character was supposed to be important were it not played by the only other actor you recognized yeah and also it's like why is stellan skarsgård a person who is swedish playing this role like why is armin muller stahl uh, a gentleman who i believe is from the middle east why is he playing that role like i know cardinals come from all over the world but just you know i understand why rance howard is thrown in there because he's you know 
he's the he's the director you know he's the dad's director you know director he's you know he's Rance Howard you know like I know why he's in there but for some of the other guys like some of the roles I'm like why is this guy this guy doesn't make any sense like you know you can't just wander into Europe and be like here's a bunch of guys who are Italian and German and French and just throw them all in there and just hope that the audience is like not questioning the fact that like a guy who is classically Scandinavian is in charge of the Swiss Guard, who for some reason are in the mm-hmm. Vatican. Like, that's three or four levels of what the hell's going on? And then also, why is Stellan Skarsgård wasting his time in this particular film? Um, you know, mm-hmm. and we didn't... And also the uh, uh, the the, Isra- the Italian scientist uh, who works at CERN is also played by an Israeli to uh, to add into that element. Yeah, it's, I, I, it's just like, everybody's just... I mean, I, I note that the cast list for the next film is a lot smaller, so they obviously stopped with this gigantic cast because it's like, there's so many people you just cannot follow what's going... I mean, in the last film, there was at least three different people who were, like, suspicious, and none of them turned out to actually be bad guys. Darren, um, yeah. Darren there is a scene... Yes. ...in the next movie where some some bad stuff has happened some people have been kidnapped or whatever right and a character who's been in the movie quite a bit uh just randomly turns out to be a master assassin great shot uh takes several people out and that's the only scene where he does anything like that in the entire movie and then you still finish the movie i guarantee you you're gonna finish that movie and go is he a good guy or a bad guy i wait who whose side was he on like it's just they they don't get better they just go here's a, a couple of random things in the book it makes sense in the movie yeah. they just go let well this scene is important let's not put any of the connective tissue that gets to that scene and that's I the mean, problem is they just wanted to let's put the stories up on screen and be fine and we have to cut out x y and z and it's so weird because like in the previous film robert langdon you know didn't want to use a gun the only time he used anything gun related was when he kicked a bullet so it stopped a door from closing Mm-hmm. And you're like, and then in this film, he just grabs that cop's gun and just starts shooting at bulletproof glass. <laughs> and you're like, what? Like, like even within his own character, it doesn't make any sense. Um, but yeah, so I, you know, I just it's it's weird because like out of all the directors that Tom had worked with previously, you know, uh, like obviously with Robert Zemeckis, things went off the rails pretty quickly with Polar Express. Um, but with with like Ron Howard is like the director he's worked with the most in his entire mm. career. And we're finishing it up with three films where it's just complete nonsense. Um, yeah. I'm assuming the next one will follow in this trend. But yeah, I don't know. I just, you know, I just a not, not a good film. Not one, you know, that I feel like ever watching again, um, you know. And, you know, in the run of films which we've got coming up, the next kind of like eight, which I saw all of them at the cinema, I'd say there's only really one that I'm not looking forward to watching. Uh, all the rest, I think, are going to be a pleasant rewatch. So, and then after that... Mm. You know, we've got Inferno and Hologram for the King and various other stuff like that. So, uh, you know, we'll we'll see where that goes. Um, but for it the moment, go straight in the toilet, there. <laughs> yes, let's go to plugs. Is there anything that you wish to plug, Ollie? Um, yeah, I, I've I've become co-host of uh, Megan Griffin's podcast. I think the last time I was on, Megan was on. You've got mail with me, and she asked me to um, to help co-host for at least the foreseeable future with herself and Stephanie. So it's called Judging Book Covers, where we talk about uh, books, basically, um, and uh, and talk about our own writing and, and stuff like that. So there's little, we read 
some of the, the stuff we've been working on ourselves um mostly they read the good stuff they've written and then i write stuff where i would like i just insert jack bauer into everything which is uh which is fun for me because mostly your book finishes much quicker because everyone's dead um but yeah judging book covers uh we did one recently on a book called uh, people we meet on vacation which is not my wheelhouse since i read science fiction and fantasy but i read a beach read romantic novel and um yeah if you want if you want to hear me struggling um to find any relevance between any of the characters and myself you you want to listen to the other two hosts being like i totally understand and this makes sense and and i can see where the situation would come from what about you ollie i hated everybody in the book guys i'm sorry like it's just it's it, it's just fun to have three people with such varied tastes talk about a singular book so judging book cover is great and uh i guessed it on uh by the time this comes out i'll probably be the most recent guest on sarah's podcast so sarah can talk about wheel of time and and uh, and her podcast in a second but that episode is about three and a bit hours long yeah so i have a podcast media evil a medieval pop culture podcast where i as a medieval historian talk about uh movie representations of the medieval past and what they get right and more often what they get wrong and uh, Ollie is a frequent guest. And yeah, I think based on the timing of this, the most recent episode probably by then will be our discussion of the Wheel of Time TV show, which, uh, yeah, that, that came out to what? About, yeah, about three hours or so. Yes. We'll, we'll see how the edited version turns out. So if you want to hear a lot of Ollie and I talking about Wheel of Time, uh, you, can, you can check that out. Um, but I also have a lot of other things about, you know, films that are more sort of strictly historical. Um, so I had a recent episode that talked about the TV show Rain, which is on Mary, Queen of Scots. Um, Ollie was actually also on for our episode about the Green Knight. Uh, so all sorts of things. And you can find us uh, at the Extremely Awkward Twitter handle, T underscore FT Memory. Uh, thanks to both of you for being my guests here today. Thanks so much for oh, having I can't us. wait to come back, Darren. I, I think you said at the beginning we're, we're back for Bridge of Spies. Yes. So the the difference in quality between that movie and this movie is astronomical. I have not seen that movie, so I'm excited to watch it. And uh, I think we can all agree that this was a little bit of a, you know, boring story. But the next one, it's going to be a Toy Story. <laughs> Three. Sorry. <laughs> You're a segment. I love you.